feels that the average rating amongst various reviews is 82. On Rotten Tomatoes, 93% of these reviews are positive. Critics love this monkey movie. Uh, Cinema score, everybody's just like, they gave it what all movies get. It got its A minus. Pretty straightforward. It opened at number one with $56 million, which was way down from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes' $72 million opening. So this might be the decline of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's Ooh. a good title. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's up for grabs. I don't think they've used it yet. The apes have good grabbing hands. Speaking of titles, Kelly Wan, what is this week's synopsis called? War for the Plopsis of the Apes. <laughs> I would like to hear that. Uh, I don't think he would, but here we go. Why do you say that, Kelly Wand? I don't know. Nobody talks in it. It's a tough one. Oh, are there, there going to be? Is there going to be a lot of sign language with your hands? I mean, it's a podcast. We can't right. do the podcast in sign language. <laughs> let's, let's hope that would be fun. Oh, it's with one hand. <laughs> See. We have a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, the movie is rated, uh, in my opinion. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, people being dicks to apes, I noticed. Um, several bad apes, but not the one named bad ape. Uh, loud snow was frightening. Uh, a dark cave. And some crucifixion. <laughs> Those are good. Okay, you can eat your cookies now. Shut up, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you Tom's not laughing. You can eat your cookies eating. now. <laughs> or for the plopsis of the apesis. Some words are all, and the Franco one is super flu, made apes smart, and somehow caused a human plague. There were lots of scenes with apes and Franco. All the words disappear except of. It turns taupe and grows fur. Some more words are all. In the second one, Dingus thought Jason Clark turned into a turkey. <laughs> really? I was wondering how long that was going to take, honestly. That was so hilarious when he did that, too. <laughs> that never happened. I <laughs> defy you to find a time when that happened. I keep waiting for it to happen. Like, he's tricked me into expecting it to happen. Right. Okay, where's the – how come I thought – I mean, I can understand that because these movies kind of – when they're forgettable, they run together. And you're like, yeah, I remember a scene of Jason Clark turning into nano goo and they're both forming apocalypse new, movies. Right, and they're both apocalypse movies. And so Dingus at some point sure. just, you know, just rolled off top of his head. It was like, yeah, of course, it was in the ape movie where Jason it Clark just, <laughs> turns into black nano goo. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, I mean, he's a weird face to see in multiple summer blockbusters in the same summer. Remember in uh, Terminator Genesis when Jason Clark was ex uh, submitting extreme interrogation upon prisoners in Guantanamo? Remember that scene? Oh. Oh, no, right. I'm thinking of another movie, right? That's Zero Dark Thirty. Shoot. Oh, I thought that really <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, we actually don't know. He might have worked for the CIA at that point. The Terminators interrogate. Do they? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Where's, where's Sarah Connor? Or no, where's are you Sarah, Sarah Connor? Connor? Right. Where's John Connor? How come they can't find anyone? And they're like computers. You'd think they would be the first. It'd be, it'd be easy well, for them. To find. Google hadn't been invented yet. So. Yeah, they're all, they're all using Bing. Google's Skynet, bro. Rats, we should do something about that. But first, Kelly Wan, let's hear the rest of the synopsis. Planet of the Rats. Some more words are all... In the second one, Dingus thought Jason Clark turned into a Terminator. All the words disappear except for Dingus, then everything but the U. <laughs> An H slowly flickers into being beside it. Some more words are all... There was a war in that one, ironically. This one's more about a prison break. And avalanche. 
<laughs> All the words disappear except for war and the first three letters of there. Oh, God, this. I mean, some more words are all, look, boss, the plane, the plane. All the letters disappear except for the first word, plane, and the capital T in the after the exclamation point. So it says planet, kind of. And Uncle Tom, ape, with the word donkey branded on its back, nudges a human soldier with a goatee in a forest and points up at a nearby booby trap way too high up in the treetops to do anything to them. These humans can't see anything. Nearby, one of their actual donkeys looks over and sighs irritably. The soldiers race. <laughs> That's how they are. They're testy. The soldiers raid Ape Mountain, but the apes prevail over the machine guns and grenades by using arrows and smoke grenades. To celebrate, Caesar scowls at a couple survivors they take prisoner. The donkey ape, a dumb guy with a forehead, goatee boy, and a black dude. <laughs> Black dudes all. Yo, man, y'all's motherfucking Caesar, yo. Y'all's motherfucking apes and shit. Damn, we'd be working for white man can't jump. He like a motherfucking colonel in this shit. <laughs> That's how I was raised in the streets. That's how we talk. Caesar nods in agreement and moves to the red hair guy. This guy's all. Fucking stupid apes. Your beards are slightly different from ours. Disgusting. Since you're animals, I expect you'll question us and use guns to kill us, just like animals would or termites. I look over at the Statue of Liberty's head sitting beside me and go, I loved your work in Cloverfield. Caesar goes to the scowling donkey ape and goes, I get it. Still mad because I killed Koba in the last one after he tried to murder me like Defoe in Platoon. The donkey apes all. No, I'm just a dick. The goatee guys all. I have a goatee. Based on this exchange, Caesar lets them go by tying them onto horses he somehow has that somehow know where to ride to. Caesar looks at goatee and goes, Tell your colonel, Harrelson, to stop attacking us, please. Goatee's all. Why? Caesar slaps the horse's rope and watches it lope off screen. A couple brownish apes walk up. In sign language, Caesar's smart friend, Dr. Zaius, is all. These two pieces of CG are your wife and Cornelia? <laughs> Wait, your wife, Cordelia, and your son, Rocket? <laughs> Let me start all over, Caesar. These two pieces of CG are your wife, Cornelia, and your son, Rocket. I think named after Heston's spaceship in the first one. <laughs> Easter egg. Caesar's all. Which ones? Which? Zayas shrugs. A white yeti joins them. Dr. Zayas is all. And Winter. Which ones? He. Zayas shrugs again. To celebrate the colonel's imminent attack, the apes all hang out in a cave and hoot for hours. Winter's all. I don't know what a colonel is, but I say we all leave. Uh, what if the title of the next movie is Planet of the Colonels? Uh. For that, they would need too much CG. Don't worry. I learned everything about warfare involving bipeds from James Franco. 
Suddenly, he notices some telephone cables and soldiers with laser sights aiming guns at his face from a nearby waterfall. He grabs his wife and kid and goes, Buck, you two stay here and die. I'm going to go in the cave. One sec. <laughs> Baffled sign language, they're all, you're going where? Now? In the cave, the black guy's all, yo, Sarge, why don't we use this cave in the last attack? Also, won't they see our laser sights? These fucking moths sure do. Feels like a whole planet of them. The sergeant's all, they're stupid CG apes. What are they going to do? Throw torches? At- <laughs> Eventually, Caesar loses interest in the cave battle and returns to the waterfall to find Harrelson wearing blackface near what I think my 3D glasses are trying to suggest to the bodies of the Caesar household. <laughs> Instead of avenging his family and attacking Harrelson, Caesar stares at him while music plays till Harrelson loses interest and rides off on a helicopter. <laughs> Caesar tries to give chase, but since his species isn't great at climbing, Harrelson has lots of time to cut the cake. As Caesar falls, Harrelson's all, Ha ha, I didn't cut it above me. Caesar. <laughs> it's true. Caesar falls into some water. Koba's ghost trolls him and goes, Ha ha, you got wet. I nudge Tom beside me and go, see, Koba's ghost. Caesar's a werewolf. <laughs> Tom says something interminable about Vinyan. When Caesar... <laughs> when Caesar wakes up, he's in a gully with all the other apes who are wandering towards us. A small ape CG jumps into Caesar's arms and goes, la 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 la. <laughs> Dr. Zayth is all, yeah, your other son, Corneli, us. Uh, I guess your wife and you did a Jaden Willow thing there, name wise. In sign language, Caesar's all, guys, go find a valley with a tree in it. Harrelson killed my army. I'll hold off his family. I mean, fucking sign language. <laughs> Dr. Zayas is all, I'm coming with you. That way you'll definitely survive to the next movie. <laughs> Black Eight named Gary Zoll and my axe. <laughs> Another brunette ape named Gary also joins in. They ride horses through some music to a farmhouse where a guy carrying wood stares at them. The guy's all, uh, I just need to put this down first, and drops the gun. He's all, wait, that was supposed to be the wood. Caesar shoots. <laughs> Gary number one's all, sweet, now we can live in these farmhouses. As they lean over the guy, he opens his mouth, but forgets his lines. Zayas finds a three-year-old fanning in a bed. <laughs> He gives her a lumpy paper towel. She tries to speak, but also forgets her lines. Zayas drags the kid out into the barnyard and goes, check it out. Let's bring her. She'll scare the shit out of Harrelson. These are sighs. Gary number two's all, what should we call her? Zayas goes through the kid's pockets, shaking her upside down. Let's see. Uh, birth certificate says fanning number three on it. Nah. Ah, here we go. He holds up a gas station bathroom key attached to a steering wheel and a sign that says Nova brand coat hangers. Defective. Keep out of reach of blonde children on it. 
Nova, who wasn't especially fond of her dad, joins the apes on their journey to go murder Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> they make her ride with Zaius because she smells weird. I look over the robed mutant worshipping an atom bomb beside me and go, yeah, the 60s Nova was a Jordana Brewster cave girl, but it's good to see more blonde, blue-eyed kids getting work. Maybe she grows into the Estella Warren character from the uh, Wahlberg one, huh? <laughs> Eventually, they find a room with Winter and some other defectors in it. Winter's all, damn, uh, I told Harrelson the best way to stab your son. I had a son once. Uh, also, I wanted to avoid you and the soldiers, so at least I was 50% successful. <laughs> Suddenly, some soldier silhouettes show up to stand outside and do nothing. So to keep Winter quiet, they strangle him. After a few seconds, Gary's all, okay, I think they're gone. He opens the door and gets shot. The soldiers giggle and run off. Nova takes Gary's death hard at first, cries openly until Zaius is all, don't worry, it was Gary number two. This cheers her up a little. A radio tower. Caesar looks up at it and goes, hey, wonder if this is the same one Vin Diesel skateboarded down in triple X. Second one. He climbs up the struts and goes, hmm, family is spray painted here, and it is misspelled, but I don't see any 20 sideds <laughs> CG in a parka tries to jiggle one of their horses' saddles loudly. It does this till eventually Caesar thinks to look down, sees the figure, and yawns. They chase it into a tunnel in a snow room made out of hills and point guns at Parka things all. Damn. G g guess I should have picked a tunnel that led somewhere. My name, Bad Ape, came from third act place. What were you trying to do to that saddle? Bad Ape shrugs. <laughs> For the first time since the journey started, Nova shivers once, so the ape gives her his parka. <laughs> Zaius is all. Why are you wearing a parka if you're not cold and human belongings frighten you? Bad ape shrugs. He's all. That, that's the only sign language bad ape knows. Take us to Camp Harrelson. No. I had a sign. Let's go. They walk through the <laughs> They walk through some montages till they reach Camp Harrelson. They crouch behind a snow dune and watch as a million skinhead troops stamp their feet for a while, then bang axes over their heads. Bad apes all. Like the, the, the evil cult in Cobra. <laughs> He's had a weird life. Harrelson walk, comes out of his catwalk bathroom and shaves his head while his ranked men watch and cheer enviously. <laughs> Harrelson's all. I want to thank you all for defecting with me from the real army and coming here to kill apes till our own guys come to blow us up. That means a lot to me. I was going to tell you my plans for defense, but let's save it till the morning of the battle. It's not like I'm going to lose my voice or anything. <laughs> and then I'll cheer and try to headbutt themselves. Caesar shakes his head and goes, bunch of idiots. I'll show them how a king fights. 
suddenly he realizes he's being held by Harrelson's soldiers. They hit him in the face with a brick of CG. Zayas, Bad Ape, Nova, and the remaining Gary all watch this from a dune farther uphill. Gary's all, hey, if we just saw the soldiers coming up on him from behind, why didn't we warn him? Or Bad Ape? <laughs> Zayas is all, okay, here's the plan. I'll wait here and take a nap while Gary watches. Nova, you wander off. Bad Ape, you walk over there till you trip and accidentally find a tunnel the humans somehow don't know about that leads into their camp. Break. In sign language, Nova's all, what? Caesar wakes up to find himself crucified. He's all, great. He looks and sees all the apes in the prison yard and all the child apes in another prison yard. I don't know why they kept the kids alive. One ape carrying a rock's all. Harrelson's making us build a wall on rocks to hold off tanks and rocket launchers and starving us to death. <laughs> the goatee guy's all, damn it, I warned you to stop heckling us, Bonzo. He ties the ape to a post and starts whipping him. Caesar looks on, getting angrier and angrier. Finally, he's all, you call that whipping? The goatee guy's all, why you? As punishment, the donkey had cut Caesar down and drags him in to listen to Harrelson monologue. <laughs> in his talking room, Harrelson shaves his head some more. Well, here's my backstory. My son lost the ability to speak. I mean, I think he did. He was only six months old. Anyway, I shot him and came up here to make gorillas build a wall. A couple thousand of my men really liked my father and techniques, so they came with me. Apes, hungry. For food, CG. Harrelson sighs and orders him crucified again, then feeds all the apes a truckload of grape nuts. One ape's all, hey, you know we eat fruit, right? Goatee's <laughs> all, damn you impertinence! The donkey ape starts to offer Caesar some water, then accidentally spills it on him. As a klutz. As a tribute to Caesar, all the apes stand on their desks and raise both their middle fingers. Harrelson watches from his ledge and angrily starts reshaving his head. That night, Caesar dreams Coba misses him, but this, pleas- <laughs> this pleasant robbery is unfortunately shattered by Nova, who makes him drink water and eat some lembus crumbs. <laughs> Tries to offload her dolly on him. Incriminating. <laughs> then she makes all the other apes drink out of a bucket. Suddenly the guards show up, so she scurries out of sight under some CG. Dr. Zayas is all, damn that fucking kid. Oh, well, at least it's just two guards, and they're not suspicious yet. Probably not even going to see her. Probably just going to turn around right now, so we're fine. Gary's all, I got this. He walks out and starts creeping and farting at the soldiers until they put him in the cage. Oh, the guards are on alert. Perfect time for Nova to run and clean. They got guns. Nova runs off and apparently doesn't leave tracks in the snow because the soldiers uh, two apes, two days, nothing suspicious. <laughs> the ground near the soldier's feet caves in, and Bad Ape sticks his head out and stares at <laughs> The soldiers are all, eh, eh, movies like the store. <laughs> Bad Ape climbs back down and joins Zaius in the tunnel. Zaius is all... Nice work tripping over this Deus Ex Machina the night before the apes are to be shot and then get blown up by tanks. But as the old ape saying goes, I guess sometimes coincidences happen at the same time. (laughs) Next to his head, a pipe bursts, and water begins flooding the tunnel. (laughs) 
That's <laughs> bad luck. Zeus is all, damn! Now we have to get wet while we evacuate. <laughs> they look at some graffiti written on the tunnel wall. Some scroll words in white spray paint are all, apocalypse now. As they go down the corridor, other scrawlings read, Harry Potter, AI, <laughs> Baboon Driver, uh, The Aper Chase, Mission Chim Possible, Gorillost Anthropoidical. That reads, Zayas is all. By the way, those are the Serling ones from Serling's notes. So. Zayas is all. Whoever carved this tunnel and broke that plumbing was a real character. Up topside to have some fun with the guard, the apes throw poo at his face. He's all, what the? You better not do that again. What the? Oh, okay, one more poop throwing at my face. What the? Why you? <laughs> Instead of shooting them, he goes into the cage, faces an army of enraged gorillas, and goes, <laughs> without telling anyone, and goes, all right, fuckers, if one of you needs toilet paper, there's more courteous ways to ask. They throw more poo at him, take his gun, then they make a tunnel to the kid's cage and evacuate all of them. The next day, Goatee wakes up and notices all the monkeys are missing and there are pits in the cage and his mauled friends covered in poop. <laughs> He's all, oh well, at least the wall's done. A bunch of helicopters, tanks, and hot soldiers attack, totally ignoring the wall. <laughs> Caesar, seeing all the apes are safe, except for the 10,000 helicopters buzzing overhead that probably see them, is all. My other son, it is great to be reunited with you. Bye. He picks up a machine gun and goes back into the camp to shoot Harrelson. <laughs> he finds Woody in bed. Woody forgets his lines, too. Out of pity for this, Caesar gives him a pistol and walks out. Though it's off screen for some reason, Woody shoots at Caesar and misses, then falls asleep. <laughs> Guess he's got shitty aim. That's his character. I would call it, you should have script doctored that part. Caesar looks at the oncoming invaders, decides their attack could take at least 30 seconds to totally destroy the camp. And tricks goatee by donkey, suddenly learning how to use a grenade launcher. Although for some reason he uses the grenades on the guy about to shoot Caesar instead of the gas tank Caesar was just trying to hit with his grenades. <laughs> the camp explodes a bunch of times. A soldier's all, look, an explosion caused by something unknown and Harrelson's suicide. They all cheer. Caesar, apparently forgetting that his presence would expose the proximity of all his friends, stands up to get a better look at the explosion. <laughs> He's not very cautious. A soldier points and goes, hey, look, an ape CG. They all turn to shoot Caesar, then instead of doing so, wait, till an avalanche kills them. Beside me, Dingus rolls his eyes, scowls at me, and sighs, Yeah, yeah, ice. The apes trick the snow. 
Think of some writing more realistically. Yep, that, that actually happened. I'll yeah. agree. I will That's agree. The true one. The apes trick the snow by climbing trees, which are immune to avalanches. Zayas is all. That's weird. Where'd the helicopters go? Bad ape shrugs. They walk to a valley where it's spring. Caesar leans against some tree CG. He gasps and goes, I guess uh, I got injured in the fight, like Rihanna in Valerian. <laughs> <laughs> They're just uh, hundreds of miles. <laughs> now it hurts again. <laughs> Zayus, I thought you said if you came on the journey, I'd survive. Zayus makes some hand gestures. Caesar's all. Uh, av- avocado pajama PS4. <laughs> Zayus is all. Sorry, just trying to swat this fly. His eyes roam around, then he finally slaps Caesar on the head. Caesar dies. In sign language, Nova's all. You get it? Zayas is all. Get what? The end. <laughs> I don't know why you had any misgivings about that one, Kelly. Well, I, I don't know. It felt, it's wrong felt with you. rough when I was doing it. All you did was recount what did. happened in the movie. Happens in the movie. Well, yeah. you know, Matt Reeves. Well, hold that thought because we might have some Matt Reeves defenders here. Let's start with uh, Dingus. Dingus, what's an over and under and your overall take on this movie? Right, my over. Uh, I went with movies where the um, hero of the movie uh, sacrifices himself mm. or should have. Um, so uh, my over would be the movie I Am Legend, which I know Kelly loves. But you love that movie. Oh yeah, I'm crazy about it. Okay. Um, so it's Oliver's- highly. It's what'd you say? All of it, because I like the first half. Then when the girl shows up, it sucks. She ruins it. Uh, I like everything. Uh, I, lo- I love everything up until um, at the act break where where Sam dies. Um, and but I still yeah. love. I still really like the movie. I mean, overall, I can watch that movie again and again. Um, but the, all the stuff with Sam is one of my favorite things ever, and I think Will Smith is great in it. Uh, and I think that regardless of the fact that it sort of uh, messes up the end for a lot of people that doesn't necessarily bother me all that much. Uh, I think it does mess up what the title of the movie means, um, which is a problem. Uh, But I still really love that movie a lot. Um, And I like the fact that the main character is sacrificed. I think that makes sense. So my under... Uh, again, I don't think these are closely bracketed, is The Dark Knight Rises, uh, because um, that character, the main character, should have sacrificed himself, and that should be the end of that trilogy. Uh, and I think that's... He did. He died. Well, what about the coffee? What about the coffee shop in He should have tried harder. That's his ghost, dude. So Alfred's a werewolf also. That's the proof uh, that Alfred's aware let's, of. Let's show. hope that what actually happens is that he dies. But I think that um, what Nolan is trying to do is fudge it a little bit at the end. Uh, this movie, I think, has has the has sort of a strength of conviction at the end, where it understands that Caesar has won has has run his character arc over these three movies, and as a trilogy, I really like the way that works. Um, and as a performance trilogy. 
Um, Andy Serkis is freaking awesome. Uh, I, I love him in this movie. Uh, I love the performances, almost all of them in this movie, even as silly as Woody Harrelson is. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I really like this movie a lot. I don't like the things, I don't like the obvious blatant ways that, um, Matt Reeves can't seem to help himself as far as apocalypse now references are concerned. Uh, I really want to smack him. Uh, with how obvious he makes it. I wish he would have not gilded the lily so much. And I think he makes a lot of mistakes uh, as the movie goes on. But overall, I really like it. Um, I found it a very emotional experience, but I really like the first two movies a lot, especially Rise. Um, and I like this as, as a capper for the trilogy. And I think it was wise to, uh, to have Caesar die at the end. I think it was a smart idea. And it was painful, um, but I liked it. I like the way that works. All right. So maybe Matt Reeves is a Superman to someone. I spoke too soon. Kelly Wand, what's an over and under, and what's your overall opinion of this movie? Uh, I liked it a lot. I don't remember the second one at all. I think that's the weak link in the three. But I liked um, – it's about apes, and you're mostly looking at CG for the whole movie. And I like movies where we're rooting for CG over humans. <laughs> so that's where my over under my over is Wally um, where I, I hated the humans that I did like the CG although I have issues with the third act of that movie and then my under is uh, the black hole um, which I didn't enjoy as much as this movie was that but, CG though? was there CG in the black hole? There's, yeah it wasn't it the first CG movie after Star Wars? I thought Tron was the, uh, you know you might be right you might be right I at mean, any rate computers to shoot it <laughs> special effects are special effects. At some point, they become more and more C in the special effects. So fair mm. enough. Uh, but I really like the ending. And I also like, um, I mean, I like Caesar. The ending, uh, I agree with Dingus on the Apocalypse Now stuff. And, and having the words Apocalypse Now in your tunnel is really gilding the lily. Like, you're just going to tell me the name of the movie. Like, just give me your notes on, on like, your notes to yourself that you were doodling before you wrote the script. <laughs> But um, I I like it. Be I like this movie because the old Planet of the Apes movies. Something that I, always struck me as a kid about them that was interesting is they're all huge bummers and they're all really depressing and, and lame things happen. And this was the first movie where I felt that that legacy was in full bloom. Like there's a lot of death in this, although the kids get off easy. Anyway, I did like it. I liked the acting. I liked the Caesar and the Andy Circus. I agree with okay. um, So. Uh I'm pro War for the Planet of the Apes. Okay, well, well, good. You guys are going to have to carry the weight here because you you're, you represent the 93% of the Rotten Tomato reviews. Uh, man, I think Matt Reeves is just a horrible ham-handed director. Uh, what you guys are saying certainly leads into that or, or feeds into that somewhat. But I just think it, it even goes beyond his obvious Apocalypse Now thing. I just think the guy can't direct to save his life. He's, he's terrible, and I think this movie is dumb, but here's my main issue. Uh, you know the uncanny. The, the, this term "uncanny valley" it describes how things, uh, the, right. as things become more anthropomorphized, they are more sympathetic to us. The closer something gets to looking and behaving human, 
the more we can feel like we relate to them. So if you think of that as an upward curve where the x-axis is, hey, how close is this to being human? And then the y-axis is, hey, how much sympathy do we feel? At a point, point, the line rises, and there's a point near the end where it drops sharply, and that's called the uncanny valley. And that's where something gets creepy because it's so close to being human without being actually human. Uh, And it's generally used to refer to like robots and computer graphics and stuff. Uh, I just could not take the monkeys in this movie seriously. It did not work for me in the least bit. I love Andy Serkis as well, uh, and I'm aware how much conviction he does these green screen bits. You know, these where he's wearing a green leotard or whatever he's doing. The guy's brilliant at that, and I'm sure he gives the animators a lot to work with with his facial work. Uh, the guy's great, but I just couldn't take the CG in this movie seriously. I was so completely divorced from caring about anything, and I was. Instead, keenly aware that I feel Matt Reeves is a terrible director. So my over and under, my over is the Warcraft movie, which at least that thing was, was, was dumb fun. Like that movie was terrible. It was dumb. I didn't mind it, though. This movie was terrible. It was dumb. I did mind it. Uh, and that movie also had this weird thing with the Uncanny Valley, with those orcs, those weird anthropomorphic – well, just the weird CG uh, for the orcs. Um, that was kind of – I never quite got used to looking at that. My under is Snow Dogs, which I just watched waiting for the dogs to start talking because I thought Snow Dogs is the movie where the dogs talk. I'm watching the movie. The dogs aren't talking. The dogs aren't talking. The dogs aren't talking. They're using CG to make them like wink and smile and stuff. Snow Dogs, the dogs, it's so cheap. The dogs only talk where Cuba Gooding Jr. falls down a mountain, knocks himself out, and has a dream sequence. Then, uh, then the dogs like talk. Like Jack. Well, the dogs talk at that point, and he has a dream where Michael Bolton appears to him, and the hot Eskimo chick who's like the love interest, she shows up in a bikini, and the dogs are all kicked back on like beach lounge chairs, and they're doing the CG thing where they talk. Uh, Snow Dogs is awful. This is better than Snow Dogs. Uh, by the way, I think the movie where the dogs talk, I didn't get to do enough research i think that's air bud does the dog talk in air bud no shoot what's the movie what's the movie where cg makes dogs talk underdog talking are the dogs talking now there's a there's a talking dog in that because i know those are those are about babies i've never seen those i thought there was one where dogs talk the whole time well it's not snow dogs at any rate yeah i'm a huge detractor of this you guys are gonna have to say all the good things about it because i don't have much good to say i'm afraid <laughs> which ones did Matt Reeves make? He made Let Me In, which I haven't seen. Let right? Me In, which is an abomination. You he, weren't, he, he told he me not to see it. Yeah, he did Cloverfield, and Cloverfield's good in the script and the cast. Like it's a found footage movie. Director doesn't have to do too much in a found footage movie. Cloverfield, in a way, I think of as more as a J.J. Abrams joint. And he had Matt Reeves just sort of do the cat shepherding or the cat herding, which is required to do a movie sometimes. So Cloverfield, I like a lot. But then he did Let Me In. He did the second Planet of the Apes movie, and then he did this. And I think that's it, right? Am I missing something, Dangus? Well, he. He did some TV and stuff, but yeah, he did Dawn, Let Me In, Cloverfield. I mean, those are the main things he's did done. Did he do Cabin Otherwise, in the Woods? No, that's that was Drew, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon. Mixed up. All right. I think he also did that uh, David Schwimmer movie, but I don't remember what that's called. Dude, it's a David Schwimmer movie? <laughs> I think so, but I, I could be wrong about that. Is that what it's called? <laughs> I, I could be totally wrong about that. I'm Speaking just of talking dogs. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Um, 
boy, I'm so surprised that, uh, and, and I, I, I understand what you're saying about uh, invoking Uncanny Valley, but I do not, I do not agree that it applies here, um, because the, the, the CG, whatever you want to say about what was used as CG, I imagine it's all CG and there's no practical effects whatsoever, as far as the faces of the, uh, the chimps or the apes. They call them all apes. Uh, which is, you know, a, a blanket term for all of them. Um, all of that works so well for me, especially, especially the Caesar stuff. But sure. all of it, all of it works extremely well for me, and it, and uh, and I totally bought into all of it. And actually, I have basically since that first reboot movie, um, which was directed by a dude named Rupert. I can't remember his name. Off the top of my head, uh, it's not Rupert Graves. I want to say Rupert Graves is not Rupert Graves, but the the rise was was directed by a guy named Rupert something. I can't remember his name. Um, the the first time we actually get introduced to Caesar as a as a little guy, uh, you know, born from his mother, and 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 then he grows up, and then he, he becomes this adult in um, in Rise, and then he becomes this leader here in in um in war. Uh, I I think that I think that the stuff that they're doing with with the CG in this movie is phenomenal. Yeah, it's and great I CG. I mean, I, it's 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 fantastic. It. It's fantastic work by their artists and animators. I agree. Yeah, but I, but I buy it all, and you don't. You no. you're just not pulled into it. You no. you actually think Warcraft is a better movie than this, which is stunning to me because I that movie do. is I, just a cartoon. Well, I would say I liked and, it more. I don't know about necessarily better, but I definitely liked it more than this. Yeah. Oh God, I can't. I can't even imagine that because it, it, even thinking about that movie makes my stomach kind of turn a little bit because I, I I couldn't stand that movie. Um, I think this movie is so much better, and it, it, I understand what you're saying about Matt Reeves kind of being a ham-handed director, but Ugh. I don't think he's utterly incompetent. I think he handles plenty of things just fine. Um, there are many things about this movie that I really liked, and, but putting Warcraft over this is bizarre to me. Why? I liked it better. <laughs> Why is that bizarre? No, no, no that's fine. I, I understand okay. that, but it's just, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm remembering it, and I get immediately... I immediately get a picture in my head of some of the things that were happening in that movie. Dingus, let me tell you something. I've seen it <laughs> twice. Uh, That's right. Yeah, that Paula Patton. I like her and her sexy orc, uh, half orc makeup. I remember. Th- I remember not liking it when I was watching it, but whenever I think back on it, I remember it fondly for some reason. Like, well, part yeah, of it too crap. is part of it too. I will say this is the cast. I mean, it's you, you've got uh, you've got Paula Patton being super high. You have Travis Fimmel. You have uh, uh, Ben Foster. Uh, I like that kid who played the wizards, who, the wizard dude whose name I'm forgetting the actor's name now. Ben something. Uh, but I like the cast in that. And I just one hated of the, the things, dialogue, if I remember right. One of the things that uh, is an issue here for me that I can enjoy more in the Warcraft movie, here there's a lot of time where there are no human beings. And if the CG isn't working for you, the movie's not going to work for you. If I'm sitting there thinking, these monkeys look silly, I'm not liking this. You, you know, here, Here's basically what it comes down to. If the, the scene where Caesar bonds with Bad Ape over the fact that they've both lost a son, if that doesn't work for you, the rest of the movie isn't either. If you can watch that scene and appreciate the great work the animators and the artists are doing to create this 
authentic moment between these two creatures, then I think the movie will work for you. But I was watching that and just thinking, sorry, not working for me. This is just silly. Uh, well, I, will, I will say that that didn't work for me because the Steve's on the Steve's on thing didn't work for me. Oh, it felt it's like okay. it felt like Gollum talking to Gollum, um, and I was very much aware of that. Oh, then I will lead you to the place. Um, and then he's talking to the guy who played Gollum when he's saying that, and I and I kind of got taken out of the movie at that point. I didn't well, like Steve Zahn in this at all. He's very like Steve Zahn a lot. I do too, and he's very much comic relief. And it's from the moment where he walks off and falls, and then from off screen says, "I'm okay." Like it, it's really it's, it's like slapstick humor introduced into yeah, the story. The which yeah, it I, ma- it makes no sense to me. Which I which I think yeah, which I think is an example of I think Matt Reeves just not really understanding tone or consistency or I, I don't know i mean i do want to hear from you guys so you guys liked it which is great because you're definitely you're you're in with the critics critically this movie did very very well tell me some things that matt reeves did that, that really worked for you that you really liked i wanted to say one last thing about the cg oh sure, sure um, yeah just really quick uh is just like you said there's a lot of scenes where it's just cg on the screen and i mean usually like in valerian and in most cg summer movies the cg is always posed and compo- like the shots are always composed around it a certain way that you can tell an actor wasn't in the shot like it can just you can just feel the difference maybe that's i mean it's not even an uncali valley thing it's just like a pacing thing right and in this i was really struck it was like everything was shot as if it wasn't cg and i kind of liked that like it felt like if it had been humans in ape suits talking, it would have been like choreographed exactly. Well, haven't haven't I'd all like of that. haven't all of the movies done that? And certainly, the, well, not the first one, but certainly the second one. Like I think in all the movies, they they have human actors playing the apes, and it helps them a lot in terms of of making the CG so good. I imagine is having actual humans interacting with each other, and then the animators work over that. Right. Uh, so I think it's that like lends to what, what you're talking about, Kelly Wan. Is it's not the normal thing where the director just leaves a blank spot and later they're going to draw into it. Yeah, you know, the they directors, have a lot of faith. Yeah, yeah they, the director's working with blocking, with actors, with characters. It's just their faces and their actual physical forms get changed, and, and we don't see that. But you're, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm basically agreeing with you, Kelly Wan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they trust Circus a lot. Like, they give him a lot. A lot of – Oh, and they should. Yeah, that guy's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, I, I just want to so say – uh, just real quick about Circus. I saw him, and this is all you need to, to know about Andy Circus to understand who he is and how he works. Uh, he was on some dippy talk show. I forget what it was. Uh, it was one of these like uh, – uh, It was probably The View because you watch that every day. It was something like that, but not with chicks. I would have remembered that. It was like one of those guys like uh, – oh, shoot. Who's the guy that replaced uh, Letterman um, after, and Conan O'Brien? Oh, no, no, no. The, the, the dorky guy from Saturday Night Live. Shoot, what's his name? Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, yeah, yeah. I think it was like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, and uh, he gave Andy Serkis some Trump tweets and said, hey, read these in the Gollum voice. And Andy Serkis did that, but before he did that, he jumped up on the chair and cra- and stood on the chair crouching down. Like he physically, right. to do his Gollum voice, uh, assumed this very physical, awkward posture. It's not like he was just going to do a, a, a voice. Andy Serkis is a complete, total, 100% physical performer, and it's amazing work. Uh, so, yeah, I loved what he was doing in this, and I loved watching it, thinking, yeah, look what Andy Serkis gave him to work with. Um, but it's just once it was drawn over with monkeys, it was sort of a, a barricade for me to appreciate it. And for King Kong, he like went and lived among the monkeys, even though Peter Jackson said he not to do it because they couldn't insure him. 
<laughs> like hung out with the gorillas and studied him so he could he could do the role better like he method acted uh, I remember once doing a scene with someone where I had to like tape something for an audition tape and it was a good friend of mine and I'm he does some lines off screen and then I do some lines and I, I said okay we're going to do this you just shoot it over you set the camera up I'm just going to deliver the lines to the wall because you might make me laugh uh, and he said and I'll always remember this he said no no look at me and it just felt like a big difference to actually look at him and do those lines. I was just going to talk to the wall because I thought my friend was going to make me laugh. He didn't. He wanted to help me. And actually working and talking with another human being, that kind of – like I realized how important that was. And I think of that watching Naomi Watts in King Kong and knowing that Andy Serkis was there working with her and looking at her right. uh, and that, that physical presence that he brings. Um, There's this great sequence of um, Hugh Jackman doing the uh, ADR for – Right. Uh, Logan running through the forest in the in the in one of the final sequences of Logan, and he's so physical in that booth, and he's he's just incredibly physical doing the whole thing, and you know how self conscious an actor must feel, and he's being filmed for a special reel to do this, but he's just totally committed to it, and and then at the end he kind of relaxes, but he's committing his whole body to it, even though really all he's doing is giving his voice. Um, and I really, I, I think you're totally right about that as far as, you know, how you describe what Andy Serkis did and why he did it. It's not, he's not putting on a show for Jimmy Fallon's audience. He's, that's how they do that. Right, right. <laughs> that's how you make that. I mean, your voice is part of your body and you have to, your performance comes out of your whole body. Can I say something that might kind of ruin the movie for you guys? Do it. Halfway through, and I couldn't get this out of my head, and I defy you now to go back and watch a trailer or something, I realized, oh my god, he sounds exactly like Optimus Prime. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Woody Harrelson? <laughs> Caesar sounds totally like Optimus Prime. That occurred to me halfway through, and I was like, ew, that's, I can't unhear it now. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not... You'll see. If you said that during the movie, it probably would have ruined it for right. right. like a little similar declamatory. Yeah. But I, I can't hear him. I can't hear his voice in his lines, and I like that. I'm really Andy Serkis, yeah, 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 Andy Serkis. I, I really like the way he does that. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons I thought to bring up Logan when you talked about this is we had one listener write in this week, and this is our listener Chris Markinson, and his I think his number one movie so far this year is Logan. I think he has Logan as number one and Atomic Blonde as number two or something like that. Um, uh-huh. I'm sorry I'm, not, I'm sorry if I'm outing you, Chris. Um, but it's interesting to read his email that he sent in to us because he really did like Andy Serkis a lot in this movie. Uh, and he really liked this movie a lot as well. He, he hadn't seen any of the previous movies, but he left really oh. liking the movie. Um, he, he left feeling better than when he came in, which I think is a good sign for a movie. Um, but reading his email is a lot like reading my notes for some movies where I say a bunch of things I didn't like where I'm almost, if I have to, <laughs> if I, if I read his email, it almost convinces me, wait a minute, why am I saying I like this movie? <laughs> because he, he makes a good, a lot of good arguments about things that don't make any sense in the movie that I think, Tom's right about as far as Matt Reeves is concerned, but on the whole, and I think I agree with Chris on this, it works. So for him, one of the things in Tom, you had asked, what are the things that work for you? And I agree with this. Um, He thinks that the connection between the girl and Maurice worked for him. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a connection to Logan as well. What did you think about the girl, Tom? Uh, I just thought it was a contrived, engineered uh, schmaltz. It's like the obvious easy thing is, hey, have a little girl tag along. A cute uh, little girl, blonde. Yeah, a little cute boy. little blonde girl. <laughs> I also felt like – I think this is another bit where I, I think Matt Reeves is clumsy. When they introduce the fact that she is Nova, because uh, I didn't remember until Matt Reeves hit this really hard, that because uh, it's Charleston Heston's girlfriend, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't yeah. they hook up? Yeah. I didn't remember. Like when, when she first shows the has the hood ornament, I'm like, oh, that's okay, weird. She's carrying around a hood ornament, but whatever. It's the apocalypse. And then later when the one of the monkeys looks at the hood ornament and basically – names her Nova. Matt Reeves just wants to hit that so hard and make it so yeah. clear to you that something is being done here that I basically he jarred loose some really distant, deeply buried memory I had where I remembered, oh yeah, the chick's name in Planet of the Apes was Nova. And mm-hmm. it's just like fan service, which I guess is fine, but are there really original Planet of the Apes fans who care about that or who I, I don't know. So at any rate, I I, I love you know get I, I, it's it's an effective device, but it just felt a little too engineered. Here is have the cute little tag along girl. Uh. It's for dumber people than me. It's like I'm supposed to go like I'm a I'm a fan of the original. I'm supposed to go yeah Nova, but like right. this is what you don't know about, and you're also patronizing me. You're basically like throw right, right, right. what you just said. You're like you throw right in my face, and you've turned into a little blonde girl, which is actually not a very interesting direction for what Nova could have been. Right. Right. Because um, she was a black lady, <laughs> kind of, in the first one. And she dies in the second one? Oh. Don't okay. they get nuked? Like, the whole Earth explodes. Wait, what? <laughs> the Earth gets nuked in the Planet the of the Apes The second Planet of the Apes movie, yeah. Does, the, does it kill everyone? Yeah, everybody dies. And then, and then um, arbitrarily, you find out two apes were in a rocket ship, which is completely <laughs> contrived. And they go back to the 70s. Yeah, they time travel. Yeah, yeah, they time travel back, (laughs) and then they give birth to a kid who winds up leading the revolution and causing it. So it's like a time loop kind of thing. I'm guessing at this point Rod Serling was no longer involved. Right, (laughs) but also Heston was like he goes he he was in the second one like reluctantly. He's all kill me off. I fucking hate these movies. Fuck you. Or or even not even that, but he thought it was better for the character. Like he was being Harrison Ford. Like yeah, kill off Taylor. I kind of did like knowing that, okay, now he's going to – because in the first movie, I forget for whatever reason, humans can't talk. Dick. There is that whole deal that humans are hunted. Only right. the apes have language. The humans don't. So I kind of like the idea that they're playing with this virus mutating, and sure enough, yeah. it's going it's to deprive people of their humanity. But here's the problem. What then doesn't this like if the idea is the virus reduces you to the state of a dumb beast like we're supposed to, I guess, think happened to Woody Harrelson at the end – isn't that going to happen to Nova? Like, why isn't Nova it just... It did. A, she can't talk. Well, no, no. I mean, she made her mute, but she still seemed like a plenty precocious, aware little girl, right? Well, Woody Harrelson shot himself. So that was he drunk? Like, was that the idea that he was drunk and speechless? It was I empty bottle. I okay, so... But anyway, his whole speech implies that it's not just making people mute. It's depriving them of their humanity. It's turning them into base creatures, into beasts. Or that's just his take. That's his we assumption. Don't see... Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know if that was He's true. Not. because Okay, because that, that's what happens. Isn't that kind of what happens in the Charlton Heston one, is the people are beasts who are hunted, who can't talk, who don't have language anymore? Well, beast is... I mean, they, they're humans who can't talk, and they've lost their... I mean, they're cave people. 
Right. They're inverting the position of humans and apes in the, the modern I don't think it's world. a biological difference. And okay. I don't think it's supposed to be a biological one here. I think it's more Heart of Darkness bullshit from Matt Reeves, to be honest. Yeah. But, right. uh, well, I believed him because he also has this idea, and because he's got followers who I presume have seen it firsthand. He's got this idea that the mutated virus, and I wasn't clear about this either, that everybody's got the virus in them, but it only mutates in certain people, and those people need to be shot. Like, it wasn't clear. I like the idea that Matt Reeves wants to play with, or presumably the script, the writer, uh, Mark Bombeck, wants to play with. This disease is just continuing to do its work on humanity. It's not just going to kill out, kill off a bunch of humanity. It's going to deprive humanity of its humanity. I like that idea, but I don't think that it uh, – yeah, I just don't think it was very well thought no. Because it's also kind of random that it just hits Harrelson that morning. Exactly, and, and and also how like if it's a if it's a virus that's in everyone and it's mutating, isn't everyone going to be affected by it? It's no longer a matter of an infectious virus; it's a matter of an organism mutating and changing. Uh, it doesn't matter Over if your son your son isn't going to infect anyone else if everyone's already infected. I just wasn't clear about the mechanics, and I think Matt Reeves didn't care that much either, and therefore it didn't make much sense. I didn't know if I was supposed to sympathize. I mean, obviously, this idea that he sacrificed his son. To save humanity, that you know, you're supposed to understand from that either he's crazy or he's very driven. Um, but I would have liked to have known: was it just was it? Did he just do it because he was insane, or did he really protect people from being infected? I don't know the answer. No, he's to that. crazy. He's a crazy. He's person. nuts. I mean, he's that's why at, in the end he's he's bathed in red and he's drunk and he and I don't think the virus well, that, has anything to do with it. He's just. He's, well, so that is that Matt not Reeves crazy? doing a Kurtz thing at the end, right? Right. Like yeah. Bathed in red and being a crazy man. Okay. He's a well, crazy person. That, that's even worse than the than the whole virus thing, just not even being explained or cared about. Because right. I right. thought it was, right. I thought we were supposed to wonder: Is this virus really infecting people? Is Woody Harrelson doing the right thing when he's quarantining people from? Uh, you know, when he's keeping people from spreading this newly mutated virus, is there an infectious thing going on here? Uh, I, I guess well, I missed the part in the movie where we're supposed to not believe him at all. Uh, well, if that were the case, because this particular facility, this uh, uh, erstwhile weapons depot, it's basically was a place where they kept all of the humans who had the virus. So why would he march his soldiers in there? I mean, presumably there are things that are still contaminated in this place even though it's wet even though it's in a snowy area i mean this is where they kept all of the humans who were contaminated well then i have a question so why why do all of his soldiers not stop speaking i think well, he's just a crazy man well then i have a question ding is what it, what are the stakes in the movie like why are some people in the movie going mute well well that the virus does have that effect on them but it doesn't mean that that they're going to be turned into primates it just means that. No, no, I'm not asking that. I'm asking. I'm not asking that. I'm asking why. Why? Uh, why isn't every? Is everyone going to turn mute then, or is it some infectious no, but spreading the, thing? But the virus has that effect on some people. Viruses have a different effect on different people, or this particular virus affects different people in different ways, just as it affects different apes in different ways. So we don't believe him then that it's mutating. That was something he made up. We no, don't know I, anything. We don't even know how many people are alive at all. We, we know that this is his theory, and maybe it right. is mutating. Maybe it has mutated to so, – or the certain humans are affected by it in this way. Rather than getting sick and dying, they've lost their ability to have speech, or uh, who knows what else is going on. But this is this is what this weird colonel who is this leader of this, this special forces unit has 
determined is what is going on. And that's why everybody from up north is coming down to destroy him because they realize he's a nut. Right. I got I got that stuff. I just like I said, I liked the idea about the virus, but now you're making me realize that it wasn't even thought out and it was probably just my interpretation. No, and he's making a wall. That's your But I did I did, you know, again just this idea that that people you know, that we're going to have some connective tissue between the original movie where people can't talk. I like that, but I, I, I guess. Wait, I have a I question. Sir. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so they attack the apes and then drive them from their home, but it's because they leave their home that they get captured and brought to the wall. So if they just stayed put, would they have been fine? Remember when I said that John Wick and John Wick 2 was a dick for not honoring his obligations? Uh-huh. I feel in this movie, Caesar was kind of out of line going off on a personal revenge quest when he should have been leading his people. Yeah, because they didn't, didn't do well without him. Yeah, I th- exactly. Like that's when they got captured. I think Caesar, you you screwed up. He so screwed Marcus, up a lot. Markinson agrees with you. Uh, Chris Markinson says so. Caesar leaves his people when he's the leader. He leaves his, his close friends, lieutenants in charge, and they promptly abandon the rest of the apes as well. Yeah. Who was leaving the apes then? No wonder they wind up getting caught. Um, so yeah, I, gets I see that. He's an idiot. So I spent. I, I agree with you, Tom, in that I felt I spent a fair amount of time during this movie wondering. So is this a straight up revenge drama, or is it? Because for a moment it shifts over to, oh, now I can protect my people because I hear that the colonel is going to get a bunch of guys to go after them. But then he goes back and says, I can't let go of my hate. So it is a revenge drama. So, yeah, he just can't let go of his hate. Then he lets go of it and gives him the gun, so he kills himself, and therefore he's cool and not like Koba. <laughs> right. Well, that's well, another thing, too. I think Tom's, I think Tom's right on this, on, this, on this note. about. He's right on know, a lot of notes. I, I don't agree about the, the John Wick thing, because I've never agreed with you about John Wick, too. But I think that you're right. I think that Caesar just loses his mind when he loses his son. He's got a heart of darkness, Tom. Yeah, he's got. Well, I also this, he's this whole idea that he's worried about being like Koba, uh, like if you're driven, if you're if somebody slaughters your family, wanting revenge on them doesn't make you like Koba, like that. Right. I thought that was pretty lame as well. This whole character development that always oh, worried he's like Koba, dude. Your family got slaughtered. You're supposed to want to get revenge. That's not like Koba. Koba just was a misanthrope and he hated everyone. And you know you that that part of Plus you getting you attacked. have the right idea. Yeah, yeah, plus you're getting attacked. Like, yeah, this, I, so you're I don't know. Defense. You guys say more good things about the movie, or else I'm just going to talk about stuff I hate. <laughs> uh, no, that wall, by the way, you guys are not. What the hell? A wall. First of all, the other humans blow all of that fuel flying a squadron of AH-64 Apache attack helicopters. They drive all those personnel carriers in a tank down there. They blow all of those resources on this one group, it's basically a Trump rally, pretty much. Uh, they blow all the resources on that, and then cluster around and get covered in an avalanche. Yeah. Oh my God, I was—I mean, I wasn't into the movie at that point anyway. But at that point, I was like wanting to throw things at the screen. I was like, "Movie, you are so dumb to do, a, yeah, a wall to protect you against attack helicopters, and furthermore, whatever other humans wanting so bad to take out this Colonel Kurtz, they send a squadron of attack helicopters in an apocalypse." Oh. And he needs apes to do it. That's the thing. Woody Harrelson is – he can't even make the wall. He needs right. to 
needs to attack apes and kill them and take them prisoner and have right forced prison labor just so that we can have a kind of a well he got the apes he got the apes to pay for it <laughs> See, Dingus, stop making me hate dingus the movie. I'm yeah, already, Dingus. Stop. I'm already. I'm doing fine over here on my own, Dingus. <laughs> so, uh, what did you want to throw at your monitor? I just wanted to. I just wanted to. I don't buy food concessions in movies, but if I'd bought any, I would have wanted to chuck them at the screen. I was because Chris, so Chris Markinson says hitting the guard with dung was gross and funny. Yeah, that's so true. Chris Markinson is Canadian, so he calls it dung. Yeah, I call, call it, it poop. Dung. Yeah, it's poo. You can just call it poo. Uh, and that's great. Yeah, walk. go ahead. Walk in the cage. Walk it behind you when, when you get hit by poo. You've got a gun. Carry your gun into the cage. Nice work, dude. Good training you I got from, the sad from thing is, Woody Harrelson. Tom, you might be right. It's just my bar is so low for movies and summer blockbusters and Planet of the Apes movies yeah, even. I, I'm like, I, God, you are so easily swayed. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, Kelly Wan, people love this, and I think it is because people – Am I mind these like animated monkey faces the way that I think it's weird? And because I don't think I, I don't think also people mind these Matt Reeves contrived schmaltzy bits like the death of the flower monkey. Come on. He puts the flower in her hair and then he randomly <laughs> dies from something. I don't even know what I don't even remember what killed him. And then he randomly dies and they put he the dies flower in the on Tuscan him. the Tuscan Raider scene. With the, oh, right, the obscuring of the binoculars, which, again, is like Kelly Wand. Uh, why don't you just tell Caesar, dude, you're getting flanked by humans. Yeah, they're all uh, – uh, uh, Hurry up. Start saying good things about the movie, you guys. All right. <laughs> so, so what I was going to say, though, is I think a lot of people just don't mind that kind of stuff. They just enjoy the emotional beats that Matt Reeves hits, and they enjoy how it's accompanied by really, really good uh, CG and animation. Uh, and so I think it, it, you know, that's, I think, why – I haven't read any reviews, but I imagine that's probably why this was a critically acclaimed movie is because it does use CG to hit these emotional beats. It's not just dumb, crazy CG special effect fights like at the end of Wonder Woman. To its credit, by the way, we never got anything like that where the movie was just going to sit back and make CG stuff happen. It always right. wanted to use characters when things happened, and I think critics probably appreciated that. And maybe I'm getting played, Tom, like the way Kiernan might be getting played, because I saw these the Planet of the Apes movies when I was a kid, and I liked them. Right. I don't think that most of them hold up now, but I remember how they made me feel as a kid, and I was really fascinated by them. And so these movies tricked me a little because they exist, basically. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah, that, that orangutan isn't really named Zaves, is it? No, it's no, Maurice. No, it's Maurice. I would have liked that. All right. But I really like that character, too. It's Maurice. Really like it was played it. by uh, a woman named Karen Cannaval, and she's really good. She's been in all yeah. three movies, yeah. and she's amazing in this. And that's what's wonderful about Maurice is that it has this beautiful, uh, resonant, deep voice, but this clear maternal um, uh, aura about it. And I and you know, to answer your question, Tom, the, the characters are what carry this movie for me. I, I love right. the characters in this movie, right. um, mainly because the main character, Caesar, played by Andy Serkis, especially because it's played by Andy Serkis and he did such an amazing job, makes the movie work for me. Uh, and I am kind of a sucker, as I think you suggested a minute ago, for the emotional beats that um, Matt Reeves puts forth. Uh, even though I think he does it in a ham-handed way. But mainly it's because I think the main character is played by somebody who can handle all of that. And um, I'm so happy to see Andy Serkis get top billing for something 
like this because he has worked so hard for so many years behind the scenes and behind makeup and under uh, uh, green screens and um, body suits with uh, ping pong balls all over his body um, <laughs> to see him get this kind of recognition for this kind of work, which I think he totally deserves um, because he, I think he carries this movie. I honestly do. Uh, along with the fact that he is along with the artists who bring his performance to life through computer generation. Um, so that brings me along with this movie. Uh, and also I have to say, uh, I kind of like the way that the movie and Kelly made fun of this a little bit in his opsis, which I think is viable because it not so much a war than an, as it is a prison escape. It's kind of like prison oh. escape of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> so, Dingus, that's the thing. Is you, you and I have talked before. You tried to get me to see this movie called Un Profit. Uh, no, we, I didn't. We, I told you not to see it. Stop. Oh, right. Because – right. But we love that director, but it's it's right. because prison movies are tedious, right? Like, isn't that right. sort of the, the language? So this, I was kind of dismayed when this thing just turned. I thought it was going to be a quest adventure movie, and it morphed into a prison movie, and I was dismayed at that. But I, that was okay. Like, I mean, obviously you enjoyed the movie, but didn't you at some point go, "Oh, he's making me watch a prison movie"? Well, what I appreciate about it is that. Even though I don't like that it's called War for the Planet of the Apes, but it basically becomes a prison movie. I like – this is going to sound really weird, I think. Um, I like Michael Giacchino's score in this um, because he does some weird stuff that is kind of reminiscent of uh, something like Bridge of the River Choir, Great Escape. where he's like he's doing this weird do 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 yeah no there's a there's a great motif in this and I, I guess that's the right. word for it and I think I don't know if it's supposed to be the little girl but there are definitely little motifs or bits of music that got reused that I thought were very well done so I'm with you on right. that yeah so like when they're going when they decide okay we can't get the kids from underground because this weird pipe suddenly burst and who knows why uh, we have to get them overground all right well then we'll do this we'll do that we'll throw keys. Uh, and and we'll get the kids out that way. And during those moments, um, Michael Giacchino's score has that sort of – I don't know how to put it. Uh, it's not lighthearted, but it's, it's just playful. lighthearted enough. It's, yeah. It's playful enough. Sing a, sing a little for us because I think you had it, Dingus. Let's hear some more of that. <laughs> no, I can't do it. Come on. I you started doing it. Don't make I'm, me do it. I'm not going to go do, 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 do. That's, that's there. therapy. There. You uh, just did it. That's fine. That's that pretty works. good. Yeah, but it's <laughs> pretty good. But it's it's kind of goofy, but it's just goofy enough to make you feel like okay, they're going to get the kids out, and this becomes a prison break movie while getting the kids out. And I, I think Kelly was right to make that joke about why did why did they keep the kids alive? I don't know. Seems <laughs> out of character the, for Harold. It seems like well, what use are they going to have? It's I think, not even I feeding think, him. I think Woody Harrelson is just keeping his resources. He's just and, like. And from the perspective of the podcast Resident War, the Planet of the Apes hater, all I could think was, oh, my God, they're beyond Thunderdoming it. Oh, all right. Rescuing the kids. Like, oh God. I mean, it's cute to see the little monkeys escaping, but I was like, yeah, this is beyond Thunderdome. This oh, is like, well, he, he yeah. could be like uh, grooming a future workforce if he wanted to do that, but he knows this is his last stand. Right. So there's no reason to do that. So they're all going to um, die. Uh, but I – I do like the, the the way the movie does that, but I don't think that 
writing-wise, as far as an overall script idea, it works because it's not really a war. Um, it's not, not, not only it's not, it's not a war at all, thing. <laughs> it's not even – it's barely a battle, uh, which I think it, is a huge problem. I would have liked to see a full-scale war. It's really like no It's selling a movie. I mean it's just something to, to sell the movie with. I don't think the, the title has any bearing on the script, uh, I think. Well, that's, I think they should have called it Battle of the Planet of the Apes and then have War next uh, time. And that's have, the worst one of the old ones. Oh, there's something called Battle? Is there? Yeah, I was just making the last one. Is a statue cries at the end. It's pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last you, one in the whole scene. I, I mean, I do think it's, it makes it sound sexier and it probably makes people anticipate it more, but you couldn't very well call it, you know, the the ape escape, you know, ape escape. There you go. Ape escape. Uh, yes. there you, go. you couldn't very well call it like the ape prison escape movie. Like that's just that's not you know, <laughs> sound as dramatic. Ape escape. Uh, I thought of something I liked. Um, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I like the character of the goatee guy that you think is gonna turn and be nice, and he's never nice, and he's a dick, and then they just he gets blown up at the end. I thought that was cool. It subverted my expectations for him. And then that's the not- donkey ape. That's not, by the way, that, that's not how a grenade launcher works. <laughs> what? You, you mean a grenade launcher isn't person-specific? <laughs> <laughs> I can't shoot a grenade to you when I'm standing next to you. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's the sort of thing where only if you're out of the movie by then does it bother you. So that bothers And then me. the gas tank's just sitting there uh, burning, and they don't care. Like, it's already kind of on fire a little bit, and it's also totally unprotected. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't. If you're going to be attacked from the air, if you're going right. to that's not how you My store your fuels. Right. Yeah. Put it in the middle, right next to your troops <laughs> of the catwalks. Those, that, those were one of those were some of my Kelly Wan PG thirteen moments, like when Red Donkey, who's played by a guy named Ty Olson, when Red Donkey gets shot in the head, we don't get to see that. It's I just, know. God. Yeah. 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 Just like Red Donkey, get the grenade, God damn it. And then he just he puts the gun up to his head, and then we don't get to see that. I mean, you don't see Harrelson I, die. Either. I thought. I thought he was going to do a whole uh, Darth Vader Emperor thing where he throws the guy off the ledge or, or something crazy. Because <laughs> he, he couldn't then... lift that gorilla. That thing's too heavy. You know how much those weigh? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I did. Are... I, I like the idea, and just in, in this I, in this world building of the gorillas being collaborators, like that was kind of cool and tagging along with the unit and right. basically yeah. being pack animals and degraded as donkeys. And I love that idea. That was kind of a cool uh, bit of the script, I think. Uh, did you did you have a good feeling at the beginning when they had all this writing on the back of their helmets? When yeah, they yeah, out? yeah. That's a great setup. Like, like Monkey yeah. Killer and all that stuff. That's a great setup. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's got yeah the I like that too. I wish he wouldn't have gone too deep into that. I mean, well, in the moment, clear. but and that's that's a great setup. But then it turns into an uh, an Ewok battle. And that's yeah. that. Was, that that's and that it just got worse for me from that from there. Uh, okay, now let me. That, for it. It's just like it's silent most of the movie, and that's another thing I did like about it. Like, there's not a lot of exposition <coughs> for Harrelson's monologue. Okay, we're well, gonna. I do, I do feel to its credit, you know, it seemed weird to me when Markinson said he hadn't seen the first two movies, but I think this could work fine as a standalone movie. You know, it is pretty self-contained. Hmm. You, know, you get the the baggage for how cool Caesar is, but the movie draws that pretty quickly uh, with having soldiers say we heard about you. Like it sets Caesar up just fine, even if you haven't seen the other movies. But I did like how it was kind of a self-contained thing. This is like one self-contained adventure slash prison movie. Starring the apes. Uh, well, so nothing happens in the second one except for the Jason Clark turning into a Terminator. 
Please <laughs> stop with that. that. I never what? said that. I, I deny. I, I challenge anyone to find. It's the only thing I remember about the second one. <laughs> uh, all right. I have another one. I, I defy you guys to defend this idea that he's got a big old American flag hanging up there and that they play Star Spangled Banner while they're waking the monkeys up, getting them to work. What <laughs> is Matt Reeves saying about America there? What's what's going on with that? <laughs> what's he saying about America? Yeah, just what's his message? What's the point? Like that. Yeah, what's his point? Uh, it's just how armies are. Well, real, because I think the model they're going for is kind of this whole Stalag, maybe it's the Nazis in World War II, keeping prisoners. I mean, he's not – I mean, I guess that we think – That kind of works, doesn't it? So is Matt Reeves then? Why is he making – putting all this Americana in there? Because the apes are the new America, and we're the British. I mean, well, no, I think he's very – it's very obvious what he's doing because of the wall. I mean – the wall is all you need to know. It's, uh, it's this, false, this false Americana. Uh, it's, no, we're building right. a wall. The wall's not going to do anything. The wall. It, there's a line in this movie that is, the wall is his madness. I mean... Yeah, but I these hope, movies take three years to make. Yeah, I hope you're wrong, Dingus, because that's, that's horrible. But I... I would wonder if this predated the wall stuff. Dingus might be right because that's the – it's so absurd, this idea that he's going to build a wall to keep out a modern army that maybe Dingus has a point. Maybe it is like that heavy-handed. So Harrelson's Trump? That's what I definitely thought Trump rally when they yeah, showed that's, up. Yeah, that's what he's doing. The, his yeah. wall is his madness. He says that. His wall is so, his madness. Oh, my he God. He killed And, and he's, making the apes, he's making the apes build it. I mean – I mean, After he gets the plague, he talks like the naked. Does. It's a naked metaphor. Trump can't talk either. All right, you guys like this movie. You're the ones who have to live with that. If that's, what, the, if that's what you want to look at it, I think I like the rest the of the line is something like, "It won't save him any more than it saves you," and he's saving and he's saying that to Red Donkey. I think. I think that's what. I think that line comes from um, Caesar. And he's saying to Red Donkey, "It won't save him any more than it will save you." So I think What's that's that's very stuff? much a part of what you're going, what you're asking about, Tom. I, I think that it's a pretty naked. Naked thing. When you crucify an ape, does it even bother the ape? Is like because if you do it to a human, they're, they're like, oh. But like an ape, you know, an ape didn't read the Bible. Like it's there's no connotation to the ape. In it. Yeah, it's just like it why? doesn't have it doesn't have the same cultural baggage with an ape. Yeah, plane. it's yeah. all like, yeah, I'm like what? The this ape's is not, just this is your thing, dude. That's what I just said. So if I took your heart out, it wouldn't bother you if you're not a part of the thuggy cult? <laughs> if I was an ape, no. Yeah, it's your thing, Dingus. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just my thing. I could take your heart out and do whatever I want with it. Uh, did we have Ju- Judy – was Judy Greer one of the apes? Did we have Judy Greer here? Was she wasted again and not used? You'll never see this again. Judy Greer's knobs looked way better than they did in Arrested Development, though. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old I doubt that. Come on, they did not bring poor Judy Greer back just for this. Did she they? shaved him. Yeah. Oh, Kelly Bar. Speaking of shaving. Oh. Oh, wow. What's this week's 3x3, three three, Kelly Wan? It's not mine. I was just seeing if you remembered. Oh. What? <laughs> if you remember I'll this 3x3. Like three three. Uh, it's. Like- 
kind of hard because I don't know if it's a wig or not sometimes. Well, it's wig. It's not spelled with an H. It's not spelled with two I's. I don't want to hear about Kristen Wig. Don't want to hear about the political party. These are your favorite wigs. And Kelly Wan, since you're announcing next week's 3 by 3 at the end of the podcast, you get to go first with your third favorite wig. All right. My number three is Kristen Wig, but she wears a wig in MacGruber. Where she oh, right. her wig. <laughs> and then he looks at her and he goes, You look really pretty. And she looks awful. Yeah, she totally yeah. looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> She's all brown on brown. So that's my number three. Um, See, Dingus McGruber. It should be on every three by three, right? Okay, so let me just ask this. Is it just a wig that she's wearing in the movie in general, or is it a wig she's no, wearing just for, that for one the scene. scene? Well, no, she puts it on for the scene to disguise herself as McGruber. Right. Oh. Didn't you see the movie? Do you know how rap Yeah, works? I did. I don't like it. I don't know if you knew this about me. Yeah, but you would remember like the way Tom remembers everything about uh, Judy Greer. I remember the celery bit. I remember of course the stuff you do. about oh, in the celery. butt. Right, yeah. about in the butt. I remember the parking sequence where they don't want to park too close to the Starbucks. Do you remember the at funeral the, at the end? I remember Belkem uh, or peeing on somebody. Mm, other way around. Yeah, you've got your yeah, you've got it stuff. Yeah, that's how you use a grenade launcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Diggis, what's peeing the wrong way? I think. What, what's like your third favorite wig in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. He's actually 6'5", with the afro 6'9". Oh, that's uh, Bedazzled? No, that's Fletch. Fletch! Um, Damn it. Uh, I Fletch. love this. I love this wig, even though it's really weird that Chevy Chase is wearing a huge afro wig. Um, but Fletch. he has this great scene, and I, I just love this scene so much. It's it's after he's tried to sneak into his apartment to avoid his ex-wife's attorney who's going after him for alimony. Um, and uh, the guy comes after him for alimony and uh, Irwin F. Fletcher um, opens up his, oh, look, I might have won the lottery. He opens his, oh, I didn't win it. Uh, but he gives him the cash that he just got from uh, Tim Matheson, uh, who's offering to have him kill himself. Um, and, uh, and so all of his money has now gone out the door and, uh, Fletch is lying down on the bed. He's a huge Lakers fan. He's got this giant mural of, uh, I think cream of Jabbar uh, in his living room and an actual basketball hoop, which he throws the basketball into. And then he goes and lies down on the couch and turns on the TV to watch a Lakers game and he drifts off to sleep and he has this dream fantasy uh, of himself as a Lakers player and the um, this is the end of the Lakers game and um, the announcer which is a guy named somebody Chick actually I think uh, uh, Chick is, Hearn is, is talking about is talking to um, I think it's Kareem uh, and he said, he, he says, wow, boy, uh, Fletch is really great. Fletch, he really came through for us. And it's this weird sort of dream fantasy that he's having himself as being this awesome basketball player. And he has this huge Afro, which, uh, makes his height from six, four to be six, nine. 
That sounds way better than the dream in Snow Dogs, where the dogs talk. I like that uh, one better. Dingus, I read the Fletch novels, uh, just mm-hmm. to point And uh, his girlfriend's name's Moxie. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where uh, a girl's all, Fletch, I really love your hair. It's like a rich lady. She's all, Fletch, I really love your hair. Who does it? He goes, nobody. If it sticks out, I just cut it off. <laughs> That's how he is in the books. Is Larry in the books? No, and he's not a Lakers fan either. Oh, right. But he's he's quick quick witted. He's a quick witted private investigator. Private hmm. investigators are in fiction a lot more than they are in real life, huh? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Uh, my third favorite wig in a movie is. I actually have a physics question for you guys. Hmm. When you have a car engine, there's that fan in front of it, right? <laughs> Which direction is the fan blowing air? In Australia, it actually goes <laughs> counterclockwise. So the farmer says, uh, it goes clockwise? No, no, no. Is it blowing, it, I mean, is it blowing the air towards the engine or away from the engine to cool away. the engine? Oh. Did you know that, Kelly Wand? No, I thought it was towards. I did too, which is why this scene, I was like, oh, come on. And it made me look it up and it made me discover what Dingus already knew because – Dingus is a guy's guy. He knows how to fix cars and like stuff. Blood test. So it's taking, it's taking heat off the engine. Yeah. Right, but you could blow. You, you, how do you get that? You have to blow the air. You have to go through the air. Has to go through the engine to grab the heat first, and then get carried out of the engine. No, the so, air is already coming in. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, yeah, but if you blow the air in, it can grab more heat as it comes out the far side of the engine. The moving <laughs> air pulls more heat. See, and it puts dust on it though too. I just think that they should consider turning the fan around because it seemed weird to me in this one scene where a fan. You know, I always wondered this when I would put a box fan in my window. It's like, which way do I point it? Right, exactly, Ding. It's exactly. Yeah. Now, I know from computers, you put the fan facing out to pull the hot air out. But I'm just thinking on an engine, it might make sense to blow the air across the engine because there's a little thing called convection, right? Oh! Yeah, see? So I don't know. Maybe cars are built wrong. If you're out there and you're like designing a car, just keep in mind what I've said. Maybe give that a shot. It might give you extra. I don't know. What's this got something. to do with powdered sugar, though? Okay. So here's the, at the end of Tommy Boy when David Spade wow. and uh, Tommy Boy what and Chris Farley are touring Dan Aykroyd's automotive plant. Dan Aykroyd's showing them around, and you find out oh he's a bad guy. He's a jerk all along. Like he thought he was maybe a good guy, but it turns out he's a bad guy. And he's showing them through his plant. They walk in front of an engine just dangling on a chain because someone's working on the engine, and the fan starts up, and it blows David Spacer's spa, uh, space, Spacer. David That's Spacer. his rep- occupation. It blows his toupee back off of his bald head, and he's super embarrassed by it, and he says – and Chris Farley's like, ooh. He says, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you because we've seen all along he's got this – David Spade has this goofy sweep of blonde hair, and the joke is, oh, it's been a toupee all along. But uh, So I love that bit. I, I just love when the movie makes fun of David Spade. Because a lot of Tom, Chris Farley's movies are about ma- making fun of him, so a lot of Tommy Boy is, hey, let's have Chris Farley bang his head and stuff. And that stuff's great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It works. But it's nice, he's to, fat. It's nice to humiliate David Spade from time to time as well. Because he's small. Okay. I'm glad you chose this. I was, I was nervous about choosing something that was a toupee because I didn't know if that qualified as a wig. It wound up being one of my runners-up, but I was wondering if that would qualify. Yeah, as a I think wig. a toupee is just like a small wig, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I know, I know you're right about that. Yeah. 
Nope. So, uh, all right, Tommy Boy, uh, which oh my god, uh, yes, Kelly Wand. I so that's, we that's were the talking deal. about Gruber and Fletch, not Tommy Boy. Right? You don't want to talk about Tommy Boy? Why are you hating Tommy Boy? <laughs> Well, because McGruber and Fletch are both comedy classics. Tommy Boy is oh. more like a rich man's black sheep. You don't like Tommy Boy? It's all right. <gasps> it's, it's all fine. right. It's got Bo Derek and Rob Lowe. Batman in a little jacket. It's got that Batman in a little suit. It's got the, the musical scene where Brian Dennehy drops dead in the middle of, of dancing and singing. There's I started M&Ms. masturbating when David Spade did. The M&M's in the dashboard, right? Yeah, all that stuff is great. All right, Beverly Hills Ninja, or that that whatever whatever is that what it's called? That a lot of the uh, in Black Sheep, those ones aren't very good at all. Like they don't have the affection for Chris Farley that Tommy Boy does. I think Tommy Boy's great. I'm da- I'm totally Kelly Wan. I'm really disappointed in you not appreciating Tommy Boy. So as your penance, I'm going to ask you for your second favorite wig in a movie. Uh, okay, my number two favorite wig in a movie. <clears throat> I'll do a line. <clears throat> Crom. <laughs> Crum? Yeah. Crum? No, Crom. Crom. Yeah, Crom. Yeah. Is that the name What's of the movie? That's, that's a word in the movie. No, it's a god and a, and a name. Yeah. Yeah. Is, god this, is this a Conan movie? Yeah, it's Conan Barbarian, brah. Wait, what wig? Did that? They didn't have wigs invented back then. Darth Vader has a wig in it. He has like a long black flowing wig. His name is is Thulsa Dune or Doom? Thulsa Dune's wig. Is it Dune or Doom? Yeah, I think it's Doom. What's the cookies? Erna Doom cook? Erna Dune cookies, right? Lorna. Elric Elric a guy named Philip Karna. It's a little similar. So at any rate, James Earl Jones' luscious locks in uh, Conan the Barbarian—they're not real. You're saying that's a wig. He didn't grow out his hair. How do you know? Because it's straight. Uh, yeah. I think this, Sam Jackson's hair is straight in Pulp Fiction. It's really long. Like it just—it seems you don't hard. Think he had to time to grow. That. You don't think it grows that fast for him? Look, here's the thing. I don't know if it's a wig. I'm assuming it's a wig, but at the end, he throws—he cuts off James Earl Jones's head and like throws it down the steps. And so, I guess the hair would not have—the hair would have come off if it was a wig. Huh? <laughs> That is Conan's then. <laughs> that, that, wig. Yeah, James Earl Jones does look ridiculous for how obviously that's a wig. That is a funny one. Yeah. And he's supposed to be a terrifying wizard villain. <laughs> not, not one of those words applies to that wig. <laughs> wizard doesn't apply? Wizard wouldn't have that kind of hair. Like fucking uh, Gene Simmons' hair. <laughs> he does. Like- also, he has Gene Simmons' tongue later because he turns into a snake. Ah, uh, right, right. CG. Right, like a yak. Yeah. yeah. So Darth Vader. So I, I object. I object to this pick because it's not. I, I did wonder if this would happen. Go ahead, Dingus. Let's let's. The court will hear your objection. So if if you just want to pick somebody who has bad hair during an entire movie, no, I think it's something a wig. Different. That's a wig. That's, that's fine. If, uh, most actors are having wigs in movies, and if you think that. He has bad hair during the entire movie, and because it's a bad wig, great. But I thought we were talking about thematic wigs. Like, your MacGruber pick is great. She's wearing a wig for a specific purpose, right? It's within the movie. You're putting yeah. on a wig, and uh-huh. it's obvious that that is happening oh, for that 
It's not just like, haha, that actor has funny hair in that Wait, movie. Wait, you didn't say this last week. You didn't say the character had to put on. Well, I didn't have to say anything. I just assumed that this was about. Uh, I'm, Fletch doesn't I'm, put I'm, on his, I'm just saying, that's his real hair in the dream. That's not a wig in Fletch's dream. That's Fletch's hair. He's dreaming he has an afro. Yeah, and that's a, it's a it's obviously a wig because he doesn't have an afro in real life. Well, how do it's you know joke. Conan's not dreaming James Earl Jones's hair? Oh, good lord! Because he doesn't know he's in the movie Alien. Actually, come on! All right, the court is ready to rule on this. I have heard arguments from both sides, and Dingus is absolutely right, Kelly Wand. When we did best ringtones in movies. If, say, Emma Stone had a ringtone on her phone while she was shooting La La Land, that wouldn't count. It's the it's the, the ringtone that her character in the movie has. It's a wig that a character in a movie has. It's within the internal fiction of the movie. So we are going to have to assume from your pick of Thulsa Dune in Conan the Barbarian that you are arguing that Thulsa Dune, the terrifying wizard villain, wears a wig. And I will accept that. And I think so that you don't have to do any hard time, you should run with that interpretation. I'm just okay, saying. Okay, Amadeus. <laughs> I don't think he was in Conan the Barbarian, so unfortunately that won't, I will not accept that one. You can't just introduce evidence at this point. You have to present it to the court first. But Dingus is right. Like We're talking about the internal fiction of a movie because uh, otherwise Brian Cox in Troy would win every single one of these entries. That guy's wig was amazing, but that's supposed to be Menelaus' real hair, so we can't pick that one. Or anything in Gettysburg. It's not like uh, – Ah, very good. Yeah. Robert E. Lee was wearing a wig so he yep. could sneak into the South. But we do know, I mean, this is probably in the comics that it's based on. Fulsa Dune probably wore a wig because in addition to being a terrifying wizard villain, he was probably vain. And he's very self-conscious about going bald, so he magically conjured a wig, and that's what he's wearing in the movie. Right, Kelly Wand? Uh, my number one might get me in trouble. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Biggest- don't worry, Kingpin. Biggest, what? what is your second favorite wig in a movie? All right, here's here's a quote from it, but it's a little bit of dialogue. Here we go. What is this for? I don't know. In case someone sees us, they might think you're Carol Heathrow or somebody like that. Is this also Fletch? It is not. Oh. Uh, Kelly should know who Carol Heathrow is. Yeah, Kelly. Heathrow. Carol Heathrow, box of popcorn. Oh. Yeah, diner. So diner. Um, so wigs. Yeah, there's a very prominent wig in diner uh, because Boogie, who is played by anybody, Daniel Stern, Leo uh, Kirby, Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke. I, so I was going to guess that eventually. Uh, Mickey Rourke works at a barbershop. Uh, that's his main job. So one of the quotes is "Cut and fuck two fifty. Uh, as, the, as his friends make fun of him. Um, and he's also uh, a gambler, and he's really, really, really deep in debt for him. And so he has to find a way to get out of debt. So he does this thing with the popcorn, right? Uh, he makes a bet with the guys, and the guys balk on it when they get back to the diner. They're like, no, that, that it wasn't just a, a random touching of the penis. It had, there had to be intent. We're not going to pay up. You know, it wasn't like reach into a popcorn and accidentally touch a penis. It was that she had to reach down and touch you. He's like, fine. Then I will balk Carol Heathrow. I'll do it. Now, who? I'll do it on Saturday night, and I'll do it in, uh, I think it's um, Kevin Bacon's brother's apartment or something like that. 
uh, and uh, 50 bucks a guy. And so he's he's doing this to, to try to make the bet, to try to get his money back so that he doesn't get his legs broken by his bookie. So he makes this bet uh, where he's going to take this girl back to his apartment and this girl that is unattainable. She's just not somebody who would ever go to bed with anybody. Um, and what he ends up doing is trying to seduce one of his friend's wives that he's already been with. It's Daniel Stern's wife, who's played by Ella Barkin. And, uh, you know, she's one of the clients at the beauty shop. And he's sitting down and he's talking to her. And he says, you know, we should get together. And she's feeling neglected as a wife because she and Daniel Stern are not getting along. And so he convinces her, let's meet up. And so they get, they meet up in this particular night, but the guys, when they make the bet, they're like, look, we're not going to just take your word for it. And uh, so we have to actually see this. And he goes, fine. Uh, one of you can show, one of you can hide in my brother's closet and watch while it happens. And that way you'll be able to tell what happens. You'll be able to verify that it happens, and you guys will all have to pay up. Well, what he doesn't know is that Daniel Stern and Kevin Bacon both go to hide in the closet uh, to watch this happen. Daniel Stern's wife is the one who ends up being the woman that he convinces to go along because he's already had a relationship with her. And as they are about to head upstairs, he says to her, uh, why don't you put on this wig? And he hands her this wig, and she's like, why would I do well, Why? It's like, you know, so if somebody sees, you know, they might think you're uh, Carol Heathrow or whatever. Uh, and, and as they walk up the stairs, he says to her, also, don't make any noise. It's really important that you don't make any noise because the walls are super thin. So promise you won't make any noise. And she's like, uh, okay, because she feels like a neg neglected wife. She's about to get some attention. She puts on this blonde wig over her head, uh, and they head up the stairs. Uh, and um, w one of the most one of the greatest parts of this is that uh, first Daniel Stern and Kevin Bacon go into the closet together, and Kevin Bacon goes, "I'll crouch <laughs> or I'll squat," I think he says. So they go into this closet. Kevin Bacon squats down. Daniel Stern stands up. The door closes, and you so you see their eyes like in the in the crack of the door, and they wait, and then they go out. When the car, when they hear the car pull up, they look out the door and they see uh, Boogie, who is Mickey Rourke, opening the door of his car to let out who they think is Carol Heathrow. They just see the back of her head, and Daniel Stern goes, "Oh my God, she's so hot!" And he does this sort of like "uh uh uh" moment. It's his wife, who he can't get along with. He sees her from the back, and he imagines. She's this other woman. He has this fantasy that she's this other woman. And he says, oh, she's so hot. It's his wife that he's looking at, but she's in a wig, and she's facing away from him, and he doesn't know that it's her. So uh, he, they go back into the closet to hide, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Why is it taking so long? Maybe he's getting her on the stairway. We're missing all the action. Uh, and eventually, of course, Mickey Rourke says, look, this is what we're going to do. Uh, I feel totally bad about it, but I couldn't go through with it. And there's this great moment. And this is one of the moments that I love in this moment and my number one, where you see the person sort of sadly take the wig off. And that's one of my favorite things about this topic, Tom. It, and I really love this topic, by the way. 
because uh, my number one, I could have done all three for my number one. I could have done 10 for my number one topic or for my number one choice. Uh, this, this moment where it's this sad taking off the wig. Uh, and that's that moment where Ellen Barkin goes, Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad you said, I'm glad, I'm glad you were honest with me, Boogie. And she takes the wig off and it's, and it's just a sad shedding of this fantasy personality. It's like in Tommy Boy when his toupee gets blown back. It's the same exactly thing. Right. It's just as poignant. Yeah. Right. Uh, Mickey Rourke's using the popcorn as a wig for his penis. That's called a merkin. Uh, very good, Tom. I like that. My second favorite wig in a movie. I'm going to give you guys a line from it, but I can't say all the words in the line. So here we go. Here's the line. It's a, it's a, it's a, a question and an answer. The question is, what does your C word taste like? And the answer is heaven. Oh, uh, closer. Yeah, Natalie Portman's like pink wig in that like that scene with Clive Owen. I don't think Cl- closer's pretty horrible, isn't it? Like I just watched that no, scene. I love it. No, closer's a good movie. Ew, I watched rules. Julia Roberts is good in it. Okay, Often but I watched that one scene and it was like, this, is the whole what? rest of the movie like that? I don't no, know. I mean, she's. Movie. Awesome. I remember it being right. a really good movie. Right. Closer's I, great. I did too. But when we went to see Valerian and he showed up, uh, Alex Anders like, "Where do I know him from?" I'm like, uh, "That Natalie Port movie. Can't remember the name." And then we sat there for a while, and I kept trying to think of the like two words that can like it's closer or closer. I couldn't because closer and closer, and she went, and I couldn't think of the name, and she went closer. It's a good <laughs> movie. That scene between the two of them is just so like stagey and playwrighty and uh which you know i guess it's an adaptation so it should be but yeah. i don't know I, it's, it's, I didn't watch the groundwork being laid for it so that that might be the issue but i will say natalie portman in that pink wig and i didn't remember this too there's no nudity you can't see anything like it's certainly well, suggested and she's perhaps. very scantily clad well it's, it's a bathing suit basically you can see that in a mm. bathing suit uh mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not casting aspersions on it. I'm not saying that it's not a hot scene. It certainly is. But I remembered it being a lot more explicit because you fill in with your imagination. You know, you remember things a little differently. And when you remember things, people's heads aren't standing in the way at certain times, and certain camera shots aren't strategically placed when you remember things. <laughs> so that scene I remember. At any rate, she is so adorable in that pink wig, and I don't normally go for that Gee. whole weird. Pardon. Her name's Jane. She keeps going, what's your name? She's all, Jane. Yeah, but it's not. Her name's Alice. But see, it's not. But then you find out at the end of the movie when she goes through customs, Mm -hmm. that was her real name. She was telling them the truth. Mm -hmm. Like they were actually – during that scene, they were closer than he knew. See? 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 (laughs) But she's just – I don't normally go in for that whole weird Japanese anime thing of, oh, aren't chicks with colored hair hot? But Natalie Portman being super sexy, just just writhing around and being sexy, I don't know if it's because she's underneath that pink hair or if it's the pink hair on top of her that that accentuates it. But, oh, my gosh, she looks so good in that scene. Hmm. Did you see the short film that accompanies – Wait, what's the Wes Anderson train movie? Uh, Marrakesh Express. No, shoot. Not Marrakesh Express. Uh, it's <laughs> something... Something limited. Limited, right. Uh, shoot. It is in India. Darjeeling? The... 
Darjeeling Limited. It's a type of Darjeeling tea. Limited. Right. Where did I get Marrakesh? Jesus. It's I don't a, know. It wasn't helping. Oh, I, oh, you're talking about the hotel. Yeah, right. The, the hotel short, room. the short film. That's like it's yeah. a prequel, basically. Yeah. It's Schwartzman's short story. Short story. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Adrian Brody cry, bro. Short story, right? Yeah, and she's, uh, there's a lot of her in that movie, in that part. Oh, oh I didn't know that. There's actual no, she's never done nudity. You see more of her in that than you do in Closer. All right. It's, does she wear a pink wig in that? She wears nothing. Unless there's a pink wig, I'm not interested. Kelly Wand. Wait, what's the before we move on to Kelly One? Because uh, what you were talking about made me think of that Adam McGoyan movie with the stripper. Zydeco with Mia Kirshner. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's a terrible last name for her. Yeah, with uh, Mia Kirshner, right? Exotica. Right. I don't oh. think she's wearing a wig. And I did confirm because it could be, and I'm surprised when you called me out on this. It could be that she dyed her hair pink, right? Unfortunately, or fortunately for me. If you tried to call me out on that, I was ready because one of their exchanges is he says to her, nice wig, and she says, thanks. She doesn't say, oh, it's not a wig. I dyed my hair. She says, she's thanks. a liar. So it's confer- – oh, shoot. You have- no, she's not because when he says, what's your real name, she says her real name, Jane Jones. She's not lying to him in that. As a matter of fact, I think that the whole point of that scene, she never lies. He says things like, are you just saying that because you men think it's sexy? She tells the truth. He says to her, uh, do you find me desirable? And she says, no, I don't. <laughs> She's being completely, brutally honest with him. Oh, wow. Poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. You know I like what? it wouldn't lie to me more. <sighs> Kelly Wan, TMI. Uh, I, I take it back about uh, Closer. I, I need to watch the rest of it before I say, is Closer really good? I'm going to trust you guys on that. I think, There's a part, I think it is pretty good, actually. I love it. I love Closer. There's a part where Jude Law uh, is, is bummed because Julia Roberts, she goes, we kissed! And she's all, what are, what are you, 14? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know what? You're making me love Closer. All right, very good. It made me love Julia Roberts. I never liked her till that movie. And I'm like, wait, she's I like her as an evil character. She's pretty good. You didn't like Aaron Brockovich? Is she evil in that? Aaron Brockovich is misguided, I'll say. Doesn't she go, they're called boobs, Al, or something? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Kelly Wong, look at you. Nice. Yeah. A broad, just a big boobs. All right, well, Kelly Wong, I need to know your favorite wig in a movie, and I need to know right now, because I understand you're worried you might be in trouble. Oh, I changed it, so now I'm not in trouble. Let me tell you what it was. Now it's an alt. All right. This is a good one. Um, I'm glad I thought of it just in time. I'll do a quote. You're the Duke number one. Wait, oh, they put it on. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot how ridiculous he looks in that scene. That's when they're shooting at him, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've got him against a wall. They've got that absurd wig on, and they're shooting at him, and that's when the briefcase breaks up. But oh my god, that's awesome, Kelly. Oh, you should describe it. You should explain people what movie it's from and what happens. It's the motion picture Escape from New York, and Donald Pleasance plays the president, (laughs) or the pleasant in this case. And uh, he's been captured by the New Yorkers, and uh, he's tied to a chair, and they cut his finger off. And that doesn't annoy him, but what really fucking annoys him is they put a Goldilocks wig on him, like a blonde wig. (laughs) So he looks like a little girl. And then when Snake Plissken rescues him, the first thing he does when he's free, he takes the wig and goes, He does not like that thing on his head. He He does not. Right. (laughs) It's the one time he's mad about anything. 
Because <laughs> you're so used to seeing Donald Pleasance. Like it's it's basically the yeah. it's like this a city skyline you recognize. You recognize the contour of Donald Pleasance as not having hair. So yeah. the most humiliating thing you could do by an actor who's established himself partly for his baldness is put a wig on him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we don't know what they did with him when he was in the wig, but he looks a little bruised and used, if you know what I'm saying. Kelly Wan TMI. What? He's the president. And actually, I like him in that scene. I go, oh, he's a tough president. Fuck you, wig. And then later, he's like, he may as well have had... He, it would have been funny if for the last scene, and he's going on TV, he puts the wig back on. <laughs> like he's grown attached, like a Stockholm yeah. syndrome thing. Or, this yeah. is my, or it's his normal TV wig. And he just gets annoyed <laughs> and he's not on the air. Or maybe he could run for re-election in that after he's term limited. Yeah. <laughs> Disguise himself, right? Yeah. That's a good his one. finger back on, too. Well, now I'm curious yeah. what you had that was going to get you in trouble, because that's excellent, Kelly Wand. Uh, yeah, that's good. Well, it's Save it for, save it for the follow-ups. We'll, we'll have runners-up. Dingus, you said this movie. You could take ten picks from this movie. What is your number one favorite wig, uh, and what's it from? Maybe give us a line from the movie. All right, here's a line from Jason it. Jason It's Jason Ten. How did you do that? Friday thirteenth. Kelly Wand, you are a legitimate phenomenon. See, I mean, because it's a wig. That's where he wears the hockey mask. He's ashamed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tom, what's yours? Oh, Jason X. All right, let me put you down for that. You guys know it's so weird to me. The hockey mask didn't come in until three movies in. What's up yeah. with that? That's crazy. I didn't like hockey yeah. yet. It's weird. Yeah. But also, right, Michael Myers has a wig on his mask, so that counts as a wig. If I was to disqualify Jason X, what would you pick instead, Dingus? All right, here's a quote from it. Suddenly I miss Farrah Fawcett from TV until I wake up and I turn back to myself. That's American Werewolf, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. It's a, is it a musical? Oh, great. Did he do a musical like like that Fred Astaire singing in the rain thing? Ugh. I started uh, watching no, some Hawk again. It's from a movie, uh, one of my absolute favorite movies uh, and one of my favorite musicals it is a musical actually it's called head again the angry inch and this movie is all about wigs ah um and this movie has a very 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 special very special place in my heart um for a lot of reasons but one of the reasons is it's the first movie that i went to a theater to see uh after the events of september 11th uh <laughs> Yeah, it's the first movie I went to see after 9-11. Mine was 13 uh, Ghosts, by the way. Very good. I went to see this and a movie called Happy Accidents uh, because uh, <laughs> a bunch of theaters said, come and see a movie. You can see a movie for, three, for free because uh, they wanted to get people to come back to theaters. And I didn't feel like leaving my house. I didn't want to go out of them to see a movie. Um, but uh, we decided to go see a movie. Uh, as a way of getting out and putting money back into the economy, I guess. Um, so Hedwig and the Angry Inch, I saw at a theater in Hollywood. And uh, this is in 2001, of course. It's directed by John Cameron Mitchell. And the wigs in this movie are freaking amazing. And they make sense for the entire movie. And there's a reason I said that, Tom, about there's... Uh, I really did consider it, and I didn't want to torpedo your topic by saying, well, I'm just going to pick one movie and give you three wigs from it, uh, which I could have done for this movie, but I wanted to pick a couple of other movies as well. Uh, but 
the the transference of the wig at the end um, is super is a super important moment uh, in the character Hedwig's life as far as uh, how he is dealing with um, his internal struggle and also dealing with how he's uh, letting his lover go in a way and letting somebody else have control um, transferring the wig to uh, it, it's also sort of a, a weird gender transference thing that's going on um, but from the beginning of the movie to the end there are so many moments of wigs and I could go through all of them but I'll just I think I'll just when I put up the thread I'll just post pictures of them instead of boring you guys with talking about them there's so many great wig moments in this movie that it would be almost impossible to spend just a couple of minutes talking about them. But the wigs in this movie are beautifully done. Uh, and um, so uh, I, I guess I would choose, if I were to choose any wig from the movie, uh, it might be the uh, original wig that he's wearing that everybody else, his fans are wearing, these foam wig configurations of what he's wearing um it might be that but it might be the one that he hands up the attack i don't know it's hard for me to pick a wig in this movie i'm sorry to say that there's so many great wigs in this movie but if i were to choose a wig movie it would be hedwig because i love this movie so much not just because of when i saw it but even watching it again today it just pulls me in the music is so freaking good um again uh it's john cameron mitchell and it's just a, it's just a freaking beautiful movie kelly one have you seen that yet uh i don't see movies that give away the fact that it's a head wig in the title dingus <laughs> <laughs> tell kelly one something to make him want to see Hedwig in the angry inch i only see movies about the metric system also yeah, Germany does figure prominently, doesn't he? Good point. Isn't he an yeah, Indian German? Yeah. No, he's from East Germany, and his mother is an East German woman, and that's part of the deal. And there's a great well, it's animation about a band, that can right? help him. Do you what like Stephen Trask at all? He doesn't know who that is. He doesn't know uh, who that is. Uh, what does uh, what's the what is his job when he uh, not to put too fine a point on it masturbates Michael Pitt in the bathtub? Isn't he like his nanny or something? He's like the nanny for the baby brother. So oh, he's carrying a right, baby. Right. He's carrying a baby. Right. I forgot that. Describe that to Kelly Wand and see if that does anything for him. So Michael Pitt's in a bathtub, and uh, it's clear that what Michael Pitt is doing, based on the motion and the fact that his arms aren't available, uh, <laughs> the motion of the water, that he's pleasuring himself, and Hedwig comes walking past the door in that classic sort of like, Somebody's walking past the door saying and looks in and sees something going on. And she comes in, puts the baby down, and then there's a lot more splashing going on. And Michael Pitt's both arms go up near his head and the splashing keeps going on. And then um, like a, business, a, a business card gets left in the water. It is not then, a piranha. <laughs> and then she is leaves. Card ejaculated? She's not there anymore. And Michael Pitt gets the uh, business card, which is Hedwig and the Angry Inch as a band. 
And God, the music in this is so fucking good. I would have, I, I was first too. She should have been holding the baby the whole time. Like she only needed one hand for that. I thought it would have been better if she'd still been holding the baby. Right. Well, she might have needed both hands. We don't know how big the. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's enough of that. No, sorry about that. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand, it is now your turn to give us your favorite wig. Oh no, you've already gone. It's my turn. Okay, you guys haven't seen this. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you've seen it. Let me give you a quote from it. Let me go to my notes. Uh, here we go. The quote is: "Can you can you please not wear the wig? Just leave it at home." Uh, and this is something that is said in a message left on a character's machine after the movie's been going for a little while. Uh, this is a movie you guys haven't seen, directed by and starring. Kelly Wan, did you ever see Cheap Thrills? No, everyone tells me to uh-huh. see it. Yeah, it's so a Kelly Wand. Of course I didn't. Yeah. It's a Kelly Wand movie. Uh, Cheap Thrills stars a guy named Pat Healy, who I really like. Uh, and Pat Healy, I don't think he's done this before. He directed his first movie that he is in, and it's out now, and it's called Take Me. And it opens introducing us to his character. And Pat Healy uh, does not have a full head of hair. I mean, he's not insecure about it. He's got thinning hair in his movies. But in this movie, he's got a big old full head of hair, and it looks weird. And you're thinking, okay, is this part of the character? Uh, Like, what's going on? And so early on in the movie, when he's coming over to his sister's house to ask her husband, his brother-in-law, for money, and he's going uh, because it's his niece's birthday party, his sister leaves him a message and says, can you – can you please leave the wig at home? Or can you please not wear the wig? Leave it at home. And the, he he leaves it all. Like that's how we know that. Oh yeah, he does. He does have a wig. This is a, <laughs> this is an aspect of this character. It's like in the beginning of Punch Drunk Love. Um, we don't realize this when we're watching the movie, but we find out a couple of points over the course of the movie that Barry doesn't normally wear this this suit jacket. Uh, that for some reason, like this is something we learn about him, that for some reason on this day, he's decided to start wearing a suit jacket. We learn early on in Take Me, oh, this character wears a wig even though it looks awful, even though everyone knows. Uh, and near the end of the movie, it figures into what happens. But – Take Me is a really, really good movie. It's it's uh it's it's with Pat Healy. He stars in it as a guy whose job is to kidnap people and hold them for a certain period of time, and they hire him to do that to kidnap themselves for therapeutic reasons. Like if I, for instance, for whatever reason, felt like I needed uh, to be kidnapped and held prisoner for 18 hours, I would hire Pat Healy to do it. And that's his job, and he role plays, and he sets up different scenarios, and it's absurd. What kind of world has this in it where a guy does this as a service? And partway through the movie, after we learn his character is down on his luck, he's goofy, and he, he wears this ridiculous wig, Taylor Schilling calls him. And do you guys know who she is offhand? She, yeah. uh, she was Adam Scott's wife in The Overnight like she's uh, a very attractive blonde woman. Yeah. So Taylor Schilling calls him and says, okay, I want you to kidnap me, and I need you to hold me for the weekend, and I want you to hit me. And he's like, no, I don't do that. That's, that's against the charge. I will not do that. Sorry, you'll have to talk to someone else. I, I'm never going to hurt anyone. That's not what I'm going to do. And then she, she offers him a lot of extra money if he will do that. And what follows is this weird – two-character, back-and-forth, cat-and-mouse psychological mystery that reminded me a little bit of a movie uh, with Stanley Tucci and Alice Eve called Some Velvet Monday. Mm. Um, Morning. uh, Morning. Shoot, why do I want to keep putting Monday in that? Uh, So uh, Take Me is – I really like that a lot, and uh, I recommend it. And 
Pat Healy's wig is a major character. So, by the way, the guy who wrote Take Me, uh, his name is Mike Mikowski. Dingus, I don't know if he's part of your family or not. Uh, <laughs> his his upcoming movie. He's so in he, the movie Monster, Monsters Inc. What? No, it's it's Mike Wazowski. Sorry, go ahead. Ew, is that Billy Crystal's name? Yeah, Mike Wazowski. The Billy Crystal monster's name? You know that? Ew, gross. Mike well, this. This guy, Mike Mikowski, uh, he's a writer, and I think Take Me is his first script. His next script is a movie called I Think We're Alone Now, in which the last <laughs> the last two people in the world are Elle Fanning. You know, she's the pretty one. Uh, Dakota <clears throat> Fanning. Dakota Fanning's the talented one. Uh, are Elle Fanning and Peter Dinklage. Uh, so put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anyway, his first uh, script – was Take Me, uh, and he's got something called I Think We're Alone Now coming up. I don't up. know who I envy more. Is it, <laughs> it, that's a Debbie Gibson, but it was somebody else. Is it Tommy? Ha, ha you thought it was a Debbie Gibson song. It, it was a Debbie Gibson song, or was it Tiffany? Tiffany. It's t- definitely Tiffany. I, oh, it was uh, Tiffany? All right. Yeah. But yeah, it's a cover song. It's not her originally thing. That's why would you think? No, no. It was like Tommy. It was not. I want to say Tommy Lee Jones, but obviously it wasn't. It's it like was Tommy Shondell. Tommy James. Tommy James and the Shondells or something like that. Yeah. So this whole concept that you're talking about reminds me, you know, we have a friend who creates escape rooms. And <laughs> what, you're, what you're talking about reminds what? me of, it makes me think of something that would happen to him where some some group says, we want an escape room, but we want you to torture us. Right. It is an extreme version. Like, we want an escape room, but, and don't let us out unless we figure it out. Right. Exactly. It's in, like it's that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. uh, but with two-player role-playing. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, Kelly Wand, who's the Your Friends and Neighbors guy? Uh, Neil LeBute. Right, right. Uh, some Velvet Morning is Neil LeBute as well. Yeah. He's also I, Wicker Man. Just yeah, that. let's not bring that up. And Nurse Betty. Let's let's. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, have you seen um, some Nobody Velvet Morning? Uh, no. Oh, you should see that. That's a Kelly Wan movie, too. Really? That's a movie, Kelly Wan, that I hated. I could not stand it until it was over, until the moment it ended for a very specific reason. And that's all I'll say, because Keith Leith's number three favorite wig, The Dark Knight, The Joker, Dark Knight. The Joker fools an entire hospital with a hairpiece, which suggests the medical staff are mostly gargoyles. I like the reveal where he says hi apologetically. Tom, please do it in this voice. And he's colon, and he, I'm supposed to do it in this voice. Hi. I don't know if that was correct or not. I tried. Good job. Your yeah. Voice. yeah. The silent. <laughs> this is great. The silent partner. Keith Lee uh. says, I usually swerve what I suspect inspired the topic, but Christopher Plummer's psychopath going all yeah. boys keep swinging to try and best an impassive Elliot Gould at the end is too tempting. God, that bit is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Keith Leith is admitting he's seen this movie. I thought I was one of the only people. But his number one pick, Jack and Jill, which he described. Wow. Yeah. You've seen that? I didn't say that. You've seen that? You just said it. I have not. Why? I don't know what you're talking about. How much? It it is quite the Al Pacino performance, I will say. It is a. because they wanted to be in a mustard commercial. It's definitely it. out there. No, he's he's like he does, like there's I think the, the perfect. The credits are a musical commercial that Al Pacino does for like a coffee for shop. coffee shop. Yeah, right. I think. Yeah. Oh god. Oh. Uh, I think I caught when I saw Jack and Jill. I think I caught PTSD from that. 
I think. That's where he lost the ability to speak. Jack Jill, number one, Keith <laughs> Leith writes, a tour de force, Adam Sandler's best since Punch Drunk Love. Jesus. Days later, someone told me Jack and Jill were separate people, and what I what? thought was a sensitive portrayal of severe mental illness was revealed to be a rude, merciless, cheaply made cash grab that in a just world would be illegal. Adam Sandler plays both Jack and Jill. He was doing a nutty professor. Oh, wait a minute. And then he writes, I haven't actually watched this turd of a movie, but I've seen a picture uh, of Sandler in a wig. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Look, you got trolled. I totally, I got trolled and outed. Just, then you watch Jack Tom, and Jill. Tom can't take him to jail, off. though, because Tom did a movie a couple of weeks ago where he hadn't seen the movie. You can take him to Jack in jail. Uh, Keith did say he's seen a trailer, though, and he's seen the wig in a trailer, so fair enough. He said, yeah. It's not fair enough. I disagree with both of you. You have to see the movie to be able to use it on the 3x3. No, not at all. Arthur no, I disagree with you both. Well, you're in charge. Fair you enough. Oh, you've, seen the, you've seen the trailer. Fair enough. If it's a good Please. pick, it's okay. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Uh, would Kelly I mean, Wan's pick be number one wig pick be any less if he hadn't seen Escape from New York? It would yes. still be a great number one pick. No, he, you don't just get to read somebody else's pick online and then throw it on there. You have to see the movie and be able to reference it. Maybe he uh, saw a trailer of it. I don't care. You guys. Still a great the, wig. It does it doesn't wit- make it did Kelly Wand having witnessed Escape from New York in no way affects how great a wig that is. I'm not talking about whether or not it exists out there in the ether. I'm talking yeah. about his your ability to actually reference it and put it forth as your choice. Dingus, you don't get to choose that if you haven't seen it. If you haven't read it, you don't get to quote it. Yeah, the Stop three it. by three the three by three is about objective truth, not your opinion. Yeah, that's Ding- a good point. Dingus. Dingus. I think <laughs> the, I think the, the wig truth we cling to are depending greatly on the trailers we've seen. Dingus, the wig yes. doesn't know what the head looks like. So. <laughs> Is that something yeah. Yoda says? <laughs> yeah, the wig, the, the wig doesn't know it's in a movie about heads. Arthur Gilvalangelelli says, number Much three. Much dark hair on this one. The <laughs> girl with the dragon tattoo. In the 2011 Fincher version, Rooney Mara puts on a blonde wig when she disguises herself as Irene Nesser in order to rob Swedish big shot Wienerstrom. The wig adds to her camouflage and probably makes her stand out less than most of her normal outfits. This version gives us a much better look at the wig than the 2008 Swedish version does. Plus, oh, I agree with you here, Arthur Giovalangelelli. Rooney Mara, he writes, is way better than Numi Rapace. I'm with you there. Camouflage your toe. <sighs> That's a Merkin. Sorry. Number two, 12 Anime months. Anime for Scandinavians. Similar to my last pick, Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe both put on disguises to avoid detection. Willis ah, includes uh, a wig and a fake mustache, which is kind of yeah. like a – which a Arthur, says, Arthur says a mustache, a fake mustache is kind of like a face wig. A lip wig. I like that. It's misdirection. Stowe's disguise, Stowe's disguise features a blonde wig, and when she first appears in this outfit, the camera lingers on her for a bit. It's a fun shot that almost seems out of place with everything going on, but it still works. Yeah, Bruce Willis in a wig it definitely stands out. It's like Donald Pleasance in a wig, right? really it's does like, stand out. Like, wait a minute, that doesn't work. But Arthur hasn't seen that movie, so it doesn't count. It still makes it a great pick. Yeah. Hey, Arthur's number one pick. It's a movie I haven't seen, 
and I'm going to go ahead and pre-agree with his pick, even though I have no idea what he's talking about. He writes, in the name of the Father. Hmm. He says, since this movie has a lot to do... Oh, my God, yes. I was thinking of that thing. What was that thing with Eric Bana and Rebecca Hall we saw about... Uh, oh, I hate that thing. Yeah, Soft Soft circuit. Circuit. Close Circuit? Close Circuit, yeah. Exactly. Because Rebecca, Rebecca Hall plays a lawyer, and she's got that, that British wig that lawyers wear, which it, it looks ridiculous. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, uh, those two? Yeah, it's insane. So Arthur's number one pick in the name of the father. He says, since this movie has a lot to do with the British legal system, there are naturally courtroom scenes that include those white powdered wigs. They look so strange to an American like me, but I guess they're part of a tradition, so that's good, I guess. Anyway, I like the one that Emma Thompson wears when she's trying to free Daniel Day-Lewis. It just looks so out of place on her, and it's very memorable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why do they still do that? I didn't know women had to wear them. Britain's Britain's insane. Well, you know, it's they're crazy. They left the the EU, so what do they know? But was that based on? I mean, first off, are those the scalps of the, their ancestors who were in the legal system? <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> then I understand it. Michael Strait said his theme was quote wigs that were more entertaining than the scene or movie they were in end mm-hmm. quote. He says he suspected I intended this to be about characters wearing wigs, but, Michael Strait says, mine were mostly actors whose wigs were amusingly not convinced. All right, Michael Strait, I'm going to pre-throw you in – I'm pre-throwing you in jail for all three of these, so I will be reading these, whatever the equivalent is of posthumously uh, in terms of incarceration. I'm reading reading these post-trial, basically, Michael Strait. So Michael Strait is in jail, y'all. Sorry to say, he's a doing a lot of words. He's doing hard time. I uh, want to say Attica, and while he does like that, apes. I'm going to read uh, his pick for favorite wigs that actors wore, not characters. Build Number three. Uh, what? What? Mr. T. He's giving quotes. I never know how to uh, read quotes when I don't know the movies. He says, "I'm actually with Tom and Dingus, pretending to love the A team to grief Kelly Wand." But with Joe Carnahan, we're not pretending. Uh, he says the whole movie is a lot of fun, but the part where Rampage Baracus, oh, Baracus spends 10 minutes sadly flirting with pacifism was pretty dumb. So more than that, I enjoyed the great curly afro wig that B.A. is supposedly grown in prison. I remember yep. them watching the A-Team on TV and then like a, a truck driving through a wall or something. Or was that – no, yeah, yeah, that's it. They're watching a, a screen. It's a Humvee. Or is it a Humvee? Yeah, yeah. Something comes through the screen. Yeah. And then just Cabeel going, or the tank shooting, and then she's off. They're trying to drive it. And she's like, <laughs> uh, Number two, Michael says, I don't, I don't know again what to do with this quote. He says, I thought I was in trouble on this one because the internet claims that Christian Bale's ridiculous comb over was not a wig. Obviously, American Hustle. What? Although Bradley Cooper's curly afro was not a wig. Jeremy Renner's bombastic pompadour was not a wig, and Amy Adams' frizzy red curls were not a wig. But apparently someone managed to pay attention. Uh, okay. So I think he's – yeah, he's bringing up uh, Christian Bale's hair in uh, American Hustle as a wig. Uh, and number three, uh, he's talking about a pale yellow yarn mop sitting on Kate Mara's head in the desperate, futile reshoot scenes of Fantastic Four. <laughs> Oh, so apparently maybe they called her back to reshoot, and she changed her hair, and they had to give her a wig. All right. And Alba. 
All right, Michael Strait, have fun jail. Yeah, but no, I, I definitely meant wigs in the context of the fiction of a movie, but I didn't specify that. So we're going to put you in a white-collar crime jail where you can play tennis and you get color TV in your cell. Mm. Soren Hoogland says, hopefully Tom hasn't scooped me on my number one. Oh, my God, no. I didn't even think of that. That is a good one, though. Number three. Ew, gross. The Hunger Games. You can pick any one of the characters from the Capitol's ridiculous wigs in the series, but I'm going with the silly rose thing Elizabeth Banks wears in the not-very-good first movie. It's oh. fun, and it's on. It's an on-the-nose bit of world-building. Man, I don't remember what – yeah, I, I remember – didn't people have, like, goofy hair and clothes in the future? That's what the Hunger Game is. Hunger Games yeah. is, right? Yeah. And weird shaved beards. Remember Wes – what's his name? Wes Bentley's oh my God, weird yeah. shaved beard? Remember how good he was in, in uh, Interstellar? Remember how good he was in the pro the, the prospect not the, pro, the claim. The, the claim, thank you. <laughs> yes, I do remember. Anne Milajovic, she's great in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys didn't disagree with me about West Bentley and Interstellar. You missed your chance. Yeah, so now we're going on terrible. to Soren Hoogland's His number. Hair is hilarious in that though. Number two, Soren Hoogland says maniac. The titular character is quite into homemade wigs, and they're all authentic human hair. I don't know if he's talking about the Elijah Wood remake or the original. Probably the original. I don't know. Hmm. But all right, Soren Hoogland. And then here's the number one Soren was thinking I would scoop. Man, I don't know. I, I do not understand this movie. I, I kind of respect how ridiculous it is, but I do not understand this thing. Uh, Kelly Wand, you should see this. It's definitely a Kelly Wand Tom Chick movie. Uh, I don't think the guy did it as a lark. I think he was completely serious, and that just makes it all the more fascinating. There's a movie called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Jesus. Do you know this movie? No. Watch Hemophy Bars. You should definitely see Beyond the Black Rainbow. Beyond the Black – wait, you've told me this before. It's horror, right? Yeah, and it's definitely a Kelly Wand movie. Beyond yeah. the Black Rainbow. Uh, Dingus, right. not, not for you. All right. Uh, Soren says specifically the moment where Barry strips off his ridiculous 60s wig and his last semblance of sanity. It's oh. weird, drawn out, and gross, lovingly showing strands of glue connecting his scalp to the wig. Mm. Ew. Soren, I love that you remember that movie. Now I want to watch it again. Alexander Burns says, hello, officers of the law, and he specifies that you, Dingus, and you, Kelly Wand, are ding-dongs and that I am not a ding-dong. He says Shocking. that exhaustively right here. Just a lot of text that's making that very, very clear. <laughs> so we have Soren, who doesn't think any movie applies to me, and Alexander, who thinks I'm a ding-dong. This is going so great right now. Alexander did send me a message because I, I, we know Alexander in real life. He did send me a message over the week saying, I hope you don't mind me calling you ding-dong. And no, Alexander, please. I, you know, I'm disappointed. He doesn't call anyone a ding-dong in this email. And frankly, I miss it. I like ding-dongs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ding-dongs are good. Why would that be a bad thing? It's like calling someone I, you know, a Twinkie or a pink snowball, right? Yeah, I, was, I was disappointed when they started calling them king-dongs. That's not a thing. What are you talking about? They, st they stopped calling ding-dongs ding-dongs at some point, and they started calling them king-dongs. Ding-dongs are not called ding-dongs anymore? Wait a minute. No, because it was too penis... It was, like, too penis-y. Oh, and king-dongs is even more penis -y. Yeah, king-dongs yeah. is even more penis -y. It's like they're specifying a big penis. I think well, uh, they got trolled by their own marketing department. Is there. that really true, Dingus? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember, because I think I've seen ding-dongs... <laughs> 
before, and I don't think I ever. I think that would have caught my eye if there was a box of ding dongs that said king dongs on it. But you might have seen you might have seen ding dongs in a grocery store, but that might have not been what you thought it was. See what he did to me, Kelly Wand. Jesus, (laughs) penises and doorbells shouldn't be that connected. (laughs) They should start calling doorbells king dongs, right? Yeah. All right, Alexander says I'm writing this to you from my cell. Uh, oh, I guess we must have imprisoned him last week for something. And as punishment, I'm only submitting two picks. By the way, listeners, if you just have one great pick, never feel forced to come up with three picks. Me, yeah. Dingus Murntoski, and Kelly Wand are all professionals. We've all got advanced degrees in this. So, yeah, so don't feel the need to do this at home. If you just want to yeah. send one, even that is fine. So, Alexander Burns, I refuse to accept your apology for only two picks because it's a perfectly viable way to participate in the three by three. Bluff denied. Number two, and boy, I love this, and it inspired the topic. Atomic Blonde. He writes, no spoilers here, but she wears a darn cool wig at a certain point. Uh, He says he just got out of scene it a second time, can't recommend it enough. I know, I know, Alex Burns. Alex Burns' number one pick, The Birdcage. He says, one of my first R-rated movies, I was about 11, I watched it in a conversion van with a friend of mine. Yeah, that's not Uh, creepy. uh, Uh, (laughs) On a long ride to St. Louis, again, taking place uh, at the end of the the movie, the short white wig that Gene Hackman wears is hysterical. I don't remember that. It's both wonderful and shameful how well this movie holds up. Alex, some of us saw the original La Cage à Foule in the original French, Uh, so that's yeah, I don't remember. Isn't that Robin Williams? Yeah, Nathan Lane. Yeah. Wow. See? It's the premise that it's a gay couple and they want to get married and one of them has to pretend to be a girl because the other one's parents are coming over? Or did I just No. Oh, it's the kids, the kids are coming to get married, right. And their parents, one of them's parents is a gay couple and they have to pretend one of them's a chick to come to the wedding? No. So Chuck and Larry is a reverse birdcage. Adam Sandler, your favorite Adam Sandler movie? I don't know what Chuck and Larry is. That's an Adam Sandler. I know Jack and Jill, not Chuck and Larry. Dingus, straighten me out on this. What is La Caja Full? Get it? Straight. Yeah, I, I love that you said that. I, I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen Birdcage in years. Oh. I think it's that, okay, a dude... <laughs> okay, it's, a, dude it's a guy who gets divorced oh. from his wife, and so he dresses in drag and throws fruit. Oh, at Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. Nope, I got it. I got it, you guys. I got it. I'm on, to, I'm on top of it. It takes me a minute, but I know my friend. Tom's a a power top. Plug the hole, Tom. Here's the deal. Dude and a chick are getting married, right? The chick's parents, super conservative traditionalists. Oh, Oh, Gene Hackman is the super conservative. Get out. Is a crazy gay couple. So either for the wedding or the the rehearsal or whatever, the crazy gay couple, I think – I don't remember if one of them disguises himself as a girl. but There's some – there's some they're not shit. crazy. They're just a gay couple, and they're, one of them feels like they have to disguise themselves. Here's the deal. Because it's French farce, uh, they oh. are – it's a little wacky over the top. It's not, oh. like, yeah, it's not like you can contemporarily do a gay couple. I think they make them a little wacky, if I recall. Not contemporarily. And so does Gene Hackman make a pass at one of them? That sounds like something in Jack and Jill, by the way. Al Pacino does make a pass at uh, Adam Sandler in drag playing Jill in um, Jack and Jill. How is that rationalized? Speaking of French farce, uh, he just thinks she's so hot. 
Jacques and Gilles. Yeah, yeah, probably based on a French farce as well. Very good, Kelly Wand. It's like, it's like um, when uh, what's his name makes a pass at Tootsie. Oh, oh she's so hot. Oh my god. <laughs> Is it Dabney Coleman? No, it's not Dabney. Is it Dabney Coleman? I don't remember it is. But yeah, I do remember that. Is someone totally thinks some like it hot? Someone wants to fuck Tony Curtis too. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> All and right. Jack, and he gets into it. Jack Lemmon's like, yeah, you know what? Kind of like being a chick. <laughs> uh, farce is so goofy. Farce. Markinson says, I wasn't sure how to approach this at first. In the end, I chose wigs that are used by a character for some plot reason. Markinson, exactly right. I'm sorry I wasn't clearer about that. I think, uh, you always, listeners, you should always err on the side of us talking about the internal fiction of a movie, unless we specify otherwise. Right. So you know. Hmm. Number three, Lost in Translation. Scarlett Johansson looks very good in a pink wig while out on the town and doing karaoke with Bill Murray. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I will say she's no Natalie Portman. But she's special. Oh. She's so special. Uh, yeah. Do I have to pick one? <laughs> Seems like a cruel game. <laughs> Aren't they in The Other Woman or that movie, The Other King's Wife? Aren't they both in like a medieval movie? Scarlett Johansson and Natalie Portman? Yes. <laughs> uh, Natalie Portman's in your house. It means right? the, the girl with the pearl earring? Is that what you're trying to think no, of? No, it's the. Uh, da, 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 da. Forget oh, it's it. da, 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 da. I forgot that one. Because you're, you're thinking of Natalie Portman in Your Highness, right? Usually, yeah, but not right now. <laughs> Chris Markinson's number two pick, 12 Monkeys. This one's a twofer. Madeline Stowe's blonde wig and Bruce Willis's brown wig and fake mustache as they try to make their way to the Florida Keys. And then number one, just say it's from Atomic Blonde and not spoil anything. But, you know, actually it's in the trailers. Uh, at a certain point, our blonde character has a black wig that looks really awesome. Uh, and so let's see. Markinson just says Charlize Theron sports a black wig and dyed black eyebrows to match. Mm. Half Damn, I, need, I really need to see that movie again. The other Boleyn girl was the name of the movie I was trying to think of. Oh. Boleyn? Boleyn? and Boleyn? Boleyn, no, isn't it? Yeah. Boleyn right. and Boleyn. The other Boleyn girl. Doesn't sound as good. Chris Webb's quick number three, number three and number two pick, he says, Mulholland Drive, Laura Elena Herring dons a blonde wig to go to Club Silencio with Naomi Watts. Don't know what that is, but I like the sound of it. And Lost in Translation, young ScarJo in a pink wig singing karaoke. Yeah. Kelly Wand, he's asking you to hit the trill. And then I'm supposed to give him an ooh, which is also Kelly Wand. I th- do people think I'm doing that when you make that noise? Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> I assume you make that noise when you're on a date. No. When you're trying to impress her. That no, I swear. Go back. That noise is your you great tonight. Oh, that's you on a date. <laughs> that noise. That was your Benedict Cumberbatch batch impression from Black Mass. You did that. That's where you debuted that noise, and for some reason, it is transferred from Benedict Cumberbatch's character onto me, and I don't think it's fair. No, I totally disagree. It was you trying to do the trill, and you couldn't do it, and you right. just—that's what you came up with. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, you guys stop. Like, yeah. I'm trying You're to like read a, Chris. Like a baby bear waking up from hibernation. Say windmill. I'm trying to read Chris <laughs> Webb's number one pick for a favorite wig, and you guys are being disruptive and rude this. and disrespectful to Chris Webb. 
And I think you should yeah. apologize right those now. Are, those are three You're things the, that mean the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Caesar in this. <laughs> a lot of times, dingus, when you talk, if you just throw in synonyms, it buys you time. <laughs> Chris Webb's number one pick. He's asked me – I don't know this quote, but I'm going to try it. He injected his male what? That's the quote. My number one is from the movie Mutual Appreciation. <laughs> It's a 2005 mumblecore movie that you geezers probably wouldn't like. The protagonist, the protagonist is played by Justin Wright, who is fr- Rice, who is frankly, and I say this with an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality, adorable. Chris oh. Webb writes. At one point, he shows up to what he believes will be a party, only to find three young women he doesn't know talking and drinking while wearing wigs. One of them says it'll be good to have the guy inject his male perspective into the conversation, leading to another asking him about injecting his male what? Eventually, our protagonist is convinced to put on a wig. I think the style would be a bob, judging by Saints Row, Chris Webb says. Then one of the girl gives him eyeshadow. Then he is peer pressured into putting on a dress. Man, how do you go along all those steps? I would have put the kibosh on that earlier That's on. That's not male perspective. <laughs> we then see him struggle to put it on in the bathroom, but because this isn't a broad comedy, the movie Get cuts it. away from the party before the money shot of him in drag. While he's getting made uh, up, the girls say he looks like Bowie. He asks, quote, like good or bad David Bowie, end quote. They assure him, good. Oh. Is it? Is this? I, I've never heard of this. Which one of you knows the most about Mutual Appreciation, the 2005 Mumblecore movie? Dingus. Yep. What? <laughs> uh, and then finally, Chris Webb, I love this, says, runner-up, if Tom hasn't mentioned it, The Silent Partner. God, I do love that. I love uh, you guys uh, that up. Yeah. All right, runners-up. Kelly Wan, what was your number one going to be before uh, you, you substituted – you thought of Escape from New York? Uh, I was going to say Bride of Frankenstein – and then argue that it's a wig because if it's her head's a dead body that wouldn't have had hair on it, so they just found a wig. And then when they brought her to life with the lightning, that's what caused the little streaks. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't do that. You would have gotten in trouble. So I went to a Donald Pleasance. Uh, I remember distinctly because I remember being told about. I remember being told about this routine before seeing the movie, and this routine existing in my head for a while before I eventually saw. Uh, a Cheech and Chong movie where uh, a guy is talking about giving his hairpiece to someone else, but he's got an accent. It sounds like herpes. Uh, and I think it's Tommy Chong, <laughs> uh, like in dis- like playing a character with Cheech Marin, and he's pretending to have like a thick Arabic accent or something. Yellow beard. Saying, like, yeah, he's saying, I give you my hairpiece. Here, you take my hairpiece. Uh, and and it's, that's the whole gag. Uh, wow. Kelly Wan, what is that from? Might have been Corsican Brothers. That's another one they're in. No, I think but it was like yellow the, beard. I think it was one of their stoner ones. Oh, that, no. yellow beard's a pirate movie. I don't think it was a pirate movie. I'm pretty sure it was Tommy like one Chong of the Chong plays a Spanish like uh, what's his face? And Cheech Marin is in it. It's a Cheech and Chong movie. Yeah, oh. yeah, Cheech Chong. Yeah, Cheech bangs his head on a wall or something. <laughs> Why? What? I don't. You made no sense. Because Chong is upset at him, and he's like a tyrant. He's a tyrant. Huh. So he bangs him. All right. All right. Well, if someone wanted to reacquaint himself with Cheech and Chong's comedic oeuvre, where should he start? Up in smoke. All right. At the beginning? Is, so- that the, is that their first one? 
Yeah, oh. there's. <laughs> is that the one where Stacy Keach is? Yeah. Uh, they're him a lard ass or something, or uh, they're yeah, making fun of his name. I think. Yeah. yeah. He's a cop. Um, and lard they have ass. to drive a van of weed to right. Mexico or from Mexico. Okay. But there's one where there's weed in a trunk. I told you this, and then on TV. Uh, they edited it for kids by making the weed into diamonds. So there's these stock footage shots of diamonds. And then you go, man, we got to smoke all those diamonds. Kids, don't do drugs, but it's okay to steal jewels. Yeah. Kids love that kind of the movie. And adults can watch it with them, so it's fun for everyone. They can all, like as a family, watch. It's really Dingus, do you have any runners-up that don't rhyme with Atomic Rond? Yes, I have a couple. Um, do you guys, when I say the name Rug Daniels, what does that mean to you? Uh, Oliver one Twist's of, friend? One, one of the characters in Fletch that Chevy Chase plays. So I say, Rug Daniels is dead. Oh, oh right. Is it they took his hair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, Dingus. Well, who would do that? Maybe it was Indians. <laughs> Wait, the character's name was Rug Daniels? Oh, that's Rug Daniels. Because it was yeah. an obvious hairpiece. Yeah, all right. You yeah. should explain to Kelly what it is because he has no idea. So it's a movie called Miller's Crossing. You should see this, Kelly. I think it's a Kelly. Oh, yeah. The high hat. Yeah. It's a high hair in this case. What the? So I, I love that. And, that. and I was reluctant to choose it because it's a hairpiece. Um, but I think it I think it works for a wig. What's the difference, really? No, full coverage or not? Mm. You know, it might be just the tip or the whole head. Oh. Chris Watson oh. uh, posted a great still from uh, Birdman. Michael Keaton's get up involves a wig when he's on stage, which I really yeah. liked. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So another one that's uh, kind of along these same lines um, thematically is. Maury from Goodfellas, who's the uh, guy who is, who owns basically a wig shop for men, and he and you see the commercials that he's running, and his, and he jumps in the pool with his wig on. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I love that. And then um, this is one I wasn't quite sure about, but I think I'm right about, and it's uh, it's this. Uh, great disguise that's in the movie Patriot Games, worn by this actress named Polly Walker, um, where she has this uh, this darker wig on, and then she takes it off after uh, killing a guy early in the movie. Uh, and part of um, what goes on in Patriot Games is trying to figure out if his memory, Harrison Ford or Jack Ryan's memory of her red hair and the picture that he sees in the satellite photo matchup, and then seeing that wig early in the movie, uh, if all of that makes sense in the movie. But I, lo- I love that she's got this huge, lush wig in the beginning of Patriot Games when she's seducing the guy that she uh, eventually shoots in the head. And I really love that like, it's just that, that wig. It's just a beautiful, lush wig that she takes off. Does Joanna Cassidy changing in Blade Runner, does that ever involve a wig? You know, I thought about that. I don't know if it does, but I thought about it more from the point of view of the 
stuntman where right he, right yeah that's but it doesn't right. really work for what we were talking about about the internal fiction and but i wondered if when she's changing in front of deckard if there's a wig involved but i guess there isn't i mean why would with hair like that why would she wear a wig yeah i think she yeah i think she's just clipping off her costume right you should have taken revolutionary periods off the table because then it's just too many like Glenn you, Clo- does Glenn Close take off a wig and the end of Dangerous Liaisons? Which is you like correct. those wigs. You like those. No, I'm saying there's too many to choose from. Why would you choose one for a three by three? I think those wigs are dopey. They're ridiculous. Uh, I watched. Because uh, everybody wears them in those movies. So yeah, I watched Barry Lyndon recently. Which oh good lord! And I they when <laughs> all those wigs look ridiculous. <laughs> I can't take those wigs seriously. And the like the, those those I would never pick those as my favorite wigs. They're, they're my least favorite wigs. They're, people dressing like that. Ew! What would they? What were they thinking? Would you have said that at the time there, or would you have joined in and gone? Yes, I look amazing in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I would be. Pro- oh, that does remind me of one though. Uh, Tim Roth in um oh shoot, what's the thing with Liam? Rob, Neeson? Rob Roy. Yeah, in Rob Roy throughout the movie, he's wearing a wig. But when it comes time at the very end for that awesome duel, that that sword fight with Rob Roy, he just has no. He just takes the wig off because he's no. not going to have that when he fights. It's just <laughs> it's totally like shorn Tim Roth fighting. I I think if I, if I recall that correctly. Oh, that's great. I love that bit. Or that whole time he's a fop, but when he takes that wig off and he shows that he's a, a brutal, ruthless, ruthless, skilled swordsman. Uh, it's like he doesn't want the wig in the way. Yeah. Oh, and it strikes me that in Patriot Games, there is a courtroom scene where uh, they have to wear those wigs. Yeah. Britain, stop that already. You're, you're, you're making a laughing stock of yourself. Yeah, we're America. Look at our president and act more like us. There's Look this the, great moment in Parks and Rec awesome. where Leslie goes to England and brings back a wig. Uh, for uh, Adam Scott to wear because she thinks it'll turn her on. She's like, try it on. He puts it on. She's like, yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> All right. Well, Kelly Wan, you know what time it is. Uh, next week's three by three topic is a really exciting one. It's uh, three best people on fire. <laughs> In movies. <laughs> oh, in movies, okay. Yeah. I, I actually don't hate this, Kelly Wand. I think you're saying it if you think people are going to hate it, but I like where this is going. I don't either, because it doesn't, it's pretty rare in movies. And when you, you, you always you hold. Remember. Yeah, yeah. Hold, hold these thoughts, though. This is, I think you've said plenty. Uh, what if listeners are listening and they're like, oh, yeah, I know a great one I want to send in? What should they do, Kelly Wand? If you're excitedly thinking about people on fire in movies right now, send your top three to the. <laughs> Email address 3x3 at quarter to three dot com, and I'll read them unless they're anime, which isn't fire, is it? <laughs> Nobody's flammable in anime. Yeah. yeah. Flammable. You don't have fire over there. So, uh, Kelly wanted to also tell the listeners what movie we're seeing and uh, how they could maybe share some thoughts about that movie with us. Next week, if you'd like to share thoughts about the motion picture Dark Tower, <laughs> uh, based on novels neither Dingus nor I nor Tom has read, and hear people who haven't read the books talk about a movie no one likes, starring Idris Elba as a gunslinger, send those thoughts to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com, or simply replay the last part of the podcast where I said the address and just. But put in a di- different subject heading so Dingus doesn't get confused when he reads them aloud and forgets to. 
<laughs> Join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Makowski. It's Christian Murawski. And we had Kelly Wand. Tom, in contact, Jodie Foster's a werewolf because she sees her dad's ghost at the end. One through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there and they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard those knocked out jailbirds sing. Hey, Ben, it's your agent. Listen, there's concern among the brass you might be too dumb for Furious 11, so we signed you up for a Miami Vice TV boot. So you play a grandma who gets upset at a waiter for putting too much butter on her face. So can you read this line for me real quick, please? I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Ugh. Uh, yeah, we'll get back to you. You know, you're very emotional. So emotional! Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah.